welcome to Clotheslines and Headlines 2.0. Take it away, Ryan Gray. North South Connection, welcome back to another installment of Clotheslines and Headlines 2.0, episode lucky number 13. Uh, we are with Rocco Martone and Mike Rosti. Mike, what is going on? What's up, WrestleMania 13? Um, do you guys remember uh, what Flash Funk's Funkettes' names were? Cameron and Naomi. Nadine. <laughs> Nadine is one. Holy shit. Wow. And I don't remember the other one. Tracy. Good, good Tracy. 50% is awesome. But yeah, that, that's my thought because Billy Gunn wrestled Flash Funk on the pre show of 13. So there you go. Well, uh, before we jump to that beautiful voice we just heard, let's, uh, Rocco, give us your Goodwells. Any good news lately, buddy? How's it going? Uh, it's great to talk to you guys. Uh, since the last time I saw you, I got to see Maki Ito live, which was one of the coolest things I've seen live in a, in a wrestling ring in a long time. So Nice. Did you sing your heart out? Um, I did not know the words as well as the entire crowd did. It was really impressive to watch and made me feel like I'm a little bit slacking. Yeah, I can't, I, you can't sing anyways, is the rumor on the street. So. That is very true. But, uh, yeah, really cool to watch a person that just controls the crowd like that in a, in a small little VFW hall. Just uh, one of my one of the coolest gimmicks out there, I think, right now. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. And that voice we heard earlier is not the tool, man, but it is Tim Taylor himself. Tim, what's going on, man? Not too much. I appreciate the invite. First time, long time. Uh, good to finally get back on a pod with you, Ryan, and then to chop it up with Rocco and uh, Rossi. It's going to be uh, – a good time and a fun time, and I hope I don't shit myself like Sid. <laughs> Another callback to WrestleMania 13, so there we go. We're, we're rocking and rolling. Well, so, me uh, and my friends, though, say the motto to WrestleMania 13 was Austin bleeds, Sid shits. <laughs> well, hopefully we're a little better than WrestleMania 13, but hey, WrestleMania 13 is not necessarily a bad WrestleMania. It does have an all-time match, that is, so... Uh, they always say yeah. brown brown equals green in wrestling, right? That's right. So they say, right? But, uh, guys, there's no news whatsoever this week to really talk about, unless if you want to talk about... Exactly. There's nothing really going on. Remember that time that I pranked Rocco when I was like, Dewdrop has <laughs> got a pinfall and so-and-so, and then he like went on and rambled about it for a minute, and I was like, hey, dude, that was, <laughs> that was, a, that was a gimmick, brother. Yeah, that was fun. I could mountain up any molehill, my friend. No BS this today, guys. We had a hell of a pay-per-view this past weekend. I know I was there. I know Rossi was there. Rocco and Tim watched it live. Tim gave us a, a timely review on Viewer's Choice. If you haven't heard that, you might want to chime in. But, uh, guys, I dug the pay-per-view. I know you liked it, Tim, by your review. But any more thoughts before we get rolling on this thing? I thought it was rather good. Triple H is still stringing them together. Now, I don't think he's had a, a miss yet. Like a, a big whiff and a miss. But it's very encouraging to see where things are going to go between the live show and then even the, the post show press conference. It was uh yeah. it was refreshing all around, so but we'll get into more. Yeah, now Rocco, do you dig those press conferences? Do you usually check those out or have you seen clips of them? Um, I do not. I don't like to, I tend not to like what well, I tend not to watch things that have a lot of is half kayfabe, half real stuff. Yeah. It kinda is 
little uh, off to me. So uh, no, I just enjoy the show, and then uh, that's uh, what that marinate in my brain. So. And Rossi, did you have a hell of a time live like I did? I did. It was really good. I mean, just seeing the war games thing was like, you know, I'll always be able to say I went to the first main roster war game. So yeah. uh, probably hold them a little bit special than, you know, a lot of people will long term. But uh, for that, but I thought overall it was a fun show. Nothing really missed. Yeah, it was mostly triples and doubles and even a home run throughout the board. So uh, let's jump into it, guys. The main event. Let's start up top, boys. The Bloodline versus the Brawling Brutes versus Drew and KO in a war games match guys i thought it was just epic storytelling and that epic storytelling began on smackdown um i thought it was an awesome angle where ko approached sammy sammy did not speak a word jay uso happened to open up that door a little bit and everyone in the world besides ko and sammy knew that he was listening on ko did a bunch of pinching like hey you should turn on these guys before they turn on you uh being a good friend telling them hey you know it's it's not as green as you think, and watch out for yourself, pretty much. And kind of alluding to the war games, wouldn't it be a bad spot to kind of do that. And Sammy didn't say a word. He just kind of took it all in. And then those two beautiful vignettes during the pay-per-view, one being Jay coming to Roman, telling him he's lying. He's he's, he's going to fuck us. I, we can't trust him. He caught him red-handed, and then he lied to him on SmackDown, saying he didn't talk to Kevin Owens. Double down on the can't trust him. So Roman, he's cool, he's calm, he's like, we got this. And then he gets all mad once he starts stewing on those words. He says, get me Sammy. Sammy comes in and they just have this epic segment. If you have, if you just watch the matches and fast forward through everything, you need to go back and watch this segment. This is one of the best things they've had on TV in a long time. And Sammy didn't quiver. He told Roman the truth. He said, I didn't speak a word to Kevin. Kevin spoke to me and he didn't tell Jay because Jay had a big war games match. He had to prepare to and he wanted to give the bloodline the advantage. So he knows Jay's a hothead and he didn't want to distract Jay. So he felt like he did the right thing by telling Jay a little white lie. And Roman believed him. Roman embraced it and they moved forward. But they gave you that little, hmm, are they still going to screw him? Do they still not trust him? And is Sammy going to do something? So they just painted a beautiful picture going into this match of, what the fuck is going to go on? I think Paige did a masterpiece, guys. It started with Butch. It started with Jay. Uh, I love how Jay was in there starting. He had to prove himself, earn it, want to be the right-hands man, and get that other side of baby faces beat up for Roman when he came in. 56 seconds. Those guys just stood at each other. They stewed. They walked around the ring. They came in the middle. They paused. The crowd. They let the crowd sink it in. They had a moment, a mini little moment right there, 56 minutes before even touching. Then they went on for five minutes, but, you know, the, the, the War Games is a contrived structure where, of course, the team that's coming up next, the other team's going to get the advantage. And, yeah, is it a knock? Sure. But this was done really, really well. It was really super compelling throughout. I'm not going to go hit by hit. Butch and Ridge had a good shine spot early, but the least amount star power in the match, the best moment in the match was when Jay was beaten and broken and it was time for the bloodline to equal the games and you figure that Jay, jimmy's coming out to save his brother but they did a great job he opened roman's sitting in a chair by the way they open up the shark cage jay goes to step out roman says stop he says sammy go save jay go garner that goodwill go go save my cousin go save your soon-to-be cousin go in there and garner his respect and his loyalty and then the crowd erupted when Sammy walked through that that shark cage. And man, was it a moment. Anyways, they go on. Sammy saves Jay. 
They go on to have back and forth. More action continues. It's never really dull. They ha- they do three minutes intervals after the first five minute one, which I like a lot. And then they started doing Titan Time, where it was a little longer for for things when things needed to breathe. And then they sped up when things were a little dead. So I really appreciate that Titan Time, especially live. It get hot again when KO comes out. Uh, KO comes out dressed as Dusty Rhodes, you know, looking like the American dream. Like, just the son of a plumber and with his ass-kicking boots and his tight jeans and his cut-off shirt. But he just looked like he was ready for war, and he looked awesome. He had a moment early with Sammy. They teased things, but then they moved past that. And, you know, everyone seemed to get shine. Sheamus came out, kicked ass, really leading to Roman, which was the moment where things started picking up and the match actually started. Of course, it's contrived. As soon as Roman gets in the ring, there's spot, spot, spot leading up to Roman. There's tables in the rings, there's chairs, there's so on and so forth. But when Roman walks in that ring, both teams find each other in separate rings. It's contrived, but hey, it's a part of the match. It is what it is. But this is really where it picks up, of course. Beating of the chest. uh, It was cute, but rather lame. I'm not going to lie. But it got over live, and it was good physical battle. Um, Good physicality here leading to Solo taking a bullet for Roman when uh, Sheamus had a clear shot at Roman, which led to Roman getting a spear on Sheamus, which led to a near fall. I believe this is the first fall of the match. Guys, spoiler, there was not many near falls in the match. It was not needed, and they wanted to make these near falls count as we get into. So anyways, Butch makes the save. Butch gets his last shine spot. Double super kick to Butch. 3D from the top rope. Really cool move. But right after that, uh, Ridge jumps in. Double super kick to Ridge. Boom, a thunderous ooh-ah spear on Ridge through a table. That's really, you know, one of the big table spots we got there. So Butch is done. Ridge is done. Drew steps up. Solo saves Drew from Roman. You get a nice little glimpse of Roman Drew, but it's not their time again. Drew got a little payback, but not enough. Again, the match now is Solo versus Drew. We're going to probably build to that, I assume, the end of the month. But anyways, um, a spinning whatever Solo's finishing move through the table, look great. Then KO gets up, jumps all over Solo, gets on Solo's ass, pump up powerbomb, stunner, Solo's done. And then you get that ear-popping moment, no pun intended. (laughs) Just really, really cool stuff here. Leading to KO in this unplanned quote-unquote spot where uh, Waffles Roman right in the air with a wicked slap but instantly roman handled a receipt that was well due uh was it really a spot i don't know we'll see we'll we'll discuss that later but anyways that leads to back and forth pump up power bomb in a stunner one two sammy grabs the arm as it was heading for three and cole says is this enough to prove his zane's loyalty what a pop sammy uso cheers come about that's your family, K.O. is yelling as he holds a dead Roman Reigns in his hand. He catches Jimmy's superkick, and then while he's holding Jimmy's superkick, Sammy does the unthinkable nut shot right to the dick. Superkick. Uh, Sammy is just look conflicted. He looks confused. He looks sad. He looks like, oh, fuck, did I just fuck up? But then Roman says, gives him a nod of approval. He juices up when he gets that nod of approval. And he gives him a thunderous whoever kick right in the corner. Man, what a pop. Jay charges to the top rope. Big splash. One, two, three. Sammy's still conflicted. Did he fuck up? Did he rake the wrong move? He's almost crying. Roman opens his arms and Sammy folds in his arms. 
the honorary Oos is gone. Sammy is a part of the bloodline. It's official. He's in the family. Then a pop, a moment when Jay charges Sammy, gives him a big bro hug. Oh, my God. The place went to a fucking 11. The handshake with Jimmy. Everything here was just unbelievably just what a fucking moment. This is the reason why we love wrestling. This is just epic storytelling. A joyous celebration here from Sammy. Cole says all he's expense of Kevin Owens. Sammy has been craving the acceptance for months. He sold his soul for this. He betrayed the best man in his wedding. Did he make the right move? Four and three quarter stars. What a fucking match. Unreal storytelling. Zeroing, zero meaningful false finishes. Legit one or two pinfalls that didn't matter. Just pure emotion story. I loved it. I love the layout. I love the structure. Unreal live. Even better on rewatch. What the fuck say you guys? Tim, where are we at with this? I have no idea how you can't give this five stars. Um, <laughs> if, I, if, if Madcap Moss was in it, he would have given it five stars. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I might I might have five star fever. I I, I don't know. Like four and three quarters was just my gut. I maybe just like the contrived structure of it. And, but the storytelling was absolutely epic. The work rate was fantastic. Tim, I might just go five. I mean, just don't, if you don't have like a, a solid, like a solid reason to like knock it. It's kind of like the, the one judge at the Olympics when they're doing the figure the skating. Judge, it's whatever. Like, like it's be- this right now? It's beautiful. It's a 10. No, it's a nine seven because nothing's <laughs> perfect. Like besides, Meltzer broke the scale. There, we're into seven and a quarter, seven and a half, nah, and everything nah. else. <laughs> so like, what's the what's the scale, anyways? Um, I thought this was really great. Um, as a WCW kid, I I love war games. It, it speaks to me on a different level. It's like going to church. Um, and WWE war games is definitely not what I grew up on. But it is fun. And I have been the biggest proponent of Roman Reigns and the bloodline. Um, Anytime I have the chance on uh, viewer's choice, I happily remind people whenever they have the chance that, you know, we're doing this pet project of GWWE. Uh, Roman Reigns is number one. I don't care. I don't care what history says. I'm I'm playing the futures game and Roman's the greatest of all time. I respect and this this storyline is it, it's it's borderline coming up on the point where we have to start considering as the greatest story WWE has ever told like Savage and Liz or not Savage and Liz Savage and Hulk can go by the wayside. Vince, you know, Vince and Austin. Sorry. The way that all the pieces of the bloodline interact with each other, how it's been going on for 800 days and we're still hooked. Like that says a lot. Um, well, but speaking specifically on the, the match itself with war games, I think it's perfect. Um, and it just now elevates the stock of both Sami Zayn and Jay Uso mm-hmm. as we head into Royal rumble season. Yeah. Um, Tim, you just put over this storyline. Is this the peak of it? Is this the peak of the bloodline is my question to you? No, because this That's is a statement. This was it's great. The, it's the pre-peak because we're this is the first time in over 800 days 
that everyone on the bloodline is level-headed and everyone is on the same page. This is this is Camelot. This is everything is everything is perfect. And this will ride through the, the, the quiet months of December. We're so we're so lucky right now that we don't have a pay-per-view. Sorry, premium live event. I have to break myself of that. Um, we don't have a premium live event between Survivor Series and, and Royal Rumble. So this wave that goes through, it's. It's so nice, and I'm really looking forward to where we go towards Rumble and Mania and beyond. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to Rocco. Uh, any thoughts on this match in particular? Yeah, I mean, I liked a lot of it. I loved Bunkhouse Stampede, Kevin Owens. Um, I think one of the things, like, you're talking about the structure of it being a, an issue, and that's, like, the war game structure, and I think the WWE needs to get over the fact that war games is about punishment. No, yes. Absolutely. You know, and they I, that's one thing maybe they could do better is it's not about two teams fighting. It's about I'm going to beat you down for 40 minutes, whatever, until I make you submit. And now they have pinfalls now, which is one thing. But I think that's a thing that could really get over well to help those, like you're saying, the fallow periods of the other matches. Um, I'm glad it was three minutes opposed to the old five or whatever. Um, it's a good decision. The Titan time helped. I don't really think I don't really I'm not in the structure it's just it's a lot of it's contrived and dark. well that's what i'm saying i think they, yeah. if they establish that better it could be a thing um it's it's very interesting to watch a match where the pops and the big moments were for the st- storytelling because yeah. you essentially have two face teams here right like the, the bloodline most, is barely yeah. a, a heel faction at this point since they're also popular so everyone's popping for the little beats other than the the good guy getting a, a win over a good move like it's a it's a very interesting way to watch a match get watched by an arena. And I was watching that a lot. It was really fascinating to me. And I like that a lot. It's a, it's a different way. Like I want all types of storytelling too, you know, like, and that's cool to get uh, a heel match, uh, you know, cause the women's title, the women's match was all babyface being cheered, the heels being booed pretty much, you know? So I think it's really cool that this match was just a different way to watch a war games match really. So uh, I really like that. Um, uh, I think what you're t- saying, Tim, with, uh, I mean, I think you're being a little hyperbolic, Robin, but we could have this discussion uh, some other day. But um, like you're saying, it is a period. I, I think it's safe to say he's top 10. I'm not saying anything about that. I'm just saying. Um, yeah. Whatever. But, um, I, I like the boldness. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, no, it, I, you know, strong opinions are what make things interesting in life, right? Um, the, 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 everyone on the same table is really cool right now because then you do have the equalizer of the rumble, right? And that's where lots of stuff could start happening and you do have a couple months to lead up to that before that happens. So yeah, it's a really interesting time for them to be a team. And uh, this match was just the perfect thing to really establish all that stuff. And just a lot of cool storytelling in different ways playing out. And uh, yeah, man, uh, really into it. All right, Rossi, give us your thoughts on this match just to put a bow on this match. So we can go around the yeah, horn I mean, on it. It was beautiful. And I mean, and watching SmackDown on Friday, you know, you, you saw that whole segment and then obviously the brain started to race. Like, is this the beginning of Jay turning on Sammy? Is this the beginning of KO helping Sammy or whatever? And then to then just go 24 hours later and, and completely reverse what they made you think on, on SmackDown was awesome. Mm-hmm. I legitimately popped and was like jumping up and down um, when he kicked KO in the nuts um, or, or, punch him in the nuts because it just, I wasn't expecting it. And that, in that form of the match, like the way the match was building, the way the match was going, it just, it, it almost felt like we were going to get a turn, but then we didn't. 
Um, and then not only that, we go the next level with the hug. We go the next level with Jay getting the, the pinfall off the big splash. It was just written absolutely perfectly. Um, I believe I text you when I was leaving the arena, like, you know, when wrestling's beautiful, it's the greatest thing in the world. And, and it was that. And this night, yeah. um, it was just an awesome situation. The, the live being there live for this was awesome. And, you know, seeing people legitimately cheering on the heels is the weirdest part of it all, but that's where they are. I mean, they've got the biggest storyline in their hands that they've had in a very long time. And it, it pretty much happened organically. I can't, I can't be happy for a guy like Sami Zayn who's got himself into this spot. I mean, he's, his life changed forever now. Um, thank God he re-signed with WWE. That's all that I can say. Yeah. Um, he's, he's been the, the, Kevin cog, yeah, they've both been the cog in the wheel of, um, WWE programming for this past six month stretch. Um, obviously, they both play perfectly off Roman in their roles, and the Usos are great. Um, there's a little bit of questions I'm starting to have about Solo, um, but maybe we'll talk about that later. But overall, this was a home run. Um, I don't, I don't know if I go five just because I don't really know how to grade matches like this. That maybe yeah. it's more story than anything. But I mean, if you if you're telling me what you know, top three matches that go back and watch this year. This is one of them. So um, really well done. And, and I can't say enough good about how the whole story came together and how, you know, the glove fits for making you wonder when the turn's coming and what's next. Now I, I present a question to you. Who's the biggest, brightest prospect within the bloodline, not named Roman Reigns. I think it's Sammy when he, when he ultimately goes baby. Um, I think this is Danielson stuff um, at this point. Um, if the turn's done right, you yep. have a spot where you can argue that Sami Zayn should be the one that beats Roman because he's meant so much to the storyline and really helped. I, I don't want to say he's kept Reigns fresh, but he's kept the bloodline in a different, going down a different path than they might have thought that they were when they put it all together, right? Um, he's been so important to the storytelling. Him and Roman are electric together. Like that <laughs> state segment was, the, I watched it again today, one of my favorite things they've done in the entire bloodline stretch. Um, with Heyman looking on in the background, Sammy get, I mean, even when Roman stands up, you don't know what he's thinking and he stands up, he tells Sammy to stand up and give him a hug. It was just beautifully done. Um, when Jay, when Jay pins, when Jay hugs Sammy, it was amazing. And, uh, I, I think, you know, Sammy Zayn has Dan, Brian Danielson, WrestleMania 30 level on him if they decide to go that route. Yeah, um, can I volley that question to either one of you other two guys? Um, Rocco, biggest prospect in the bloodline? I think uh, what you're saying with uh, him for uh, Mania is very interesting, but I mean, I think if you're going to go long-term, Solo's kind of been the best like example of what NXT is supposed to be, where you bring up a guy and he's the same guy. Maybe uh, there'll be one other example later we could talk about, but yeah, like he just like came up and he's this beast, and it was such a cool thing to see a guy that, they set up like that, and it's such an interesting character because, like, uh, like Mike said, there is a little bit of like, huh, what is this? But he does, he being so young and doing all these little cool things, right? Like, who knows what you know he's being told to do? But like, it's very, I don't know. He just seems to have a lot of upside to me. I've been really digging his character. Yeah, and not Toolman, who's your favorite prospect or your brightest prospect, or who are you buying stock in right now in the bloodline? I'm buying stock in Solo Sokoa. Oh, okay. For this, for the simple fact that based on the story. At the time in which the the bloodline was what we thought at their strongest, the elders of the tribe sent Solo to Roman. 
They did. If that doesn't set him up as a potential heir to the throne, I don't know what does. Like it's it's Game of Thrones type shit, but still, it's if the family is saying, "Hey, yo, you need this guy." Like Roman, you're the head of the table, and you need this guy. Yep. Or is and- it? Do they know they just got like a mini Umaga and he needs a, and Roman's a little vulnerable. He needs the protection as he gets but, long in the tooth. What's up? It bro? also sets up. It also sets up like, well, now you're too old. Now you're out and I'm in and I yeah, take out the guy exactly. that I to protect. Yeah. And it's such a really cool thing that could last a while. I, yeah. I did the story. I just don't know if I trust him. Now, if no one's buying Jey Uso stock. Oh, I was about to say, yeah, I was I was about to say the only person in the bloodline who I don't see as a threat moving forward is Jimmy. Yeah, but, you know, he's and just, it's a matter of time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he, he can't be trusted behind the wheel. Get it. All right. But, um, <laughs> well, no one popped for that. All right. That was sad. But anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, I would buy stock in Jay. It's just I don't I think Jay would be the most electric safe meaningful i think sammy's the biggest upside um jay's the most compelling um but it might be solo it's not gonna be jimmy they'd have to do a hell of a hell of a lot of work to get jimmy there but um i don't know back to solo real quick it is funny when you know he did take out drew right and then they panned to roman and he's out of his chair once he took out drew and then he kind of smiles at the wise man like yeah he got my he got drew drew you know he's all right and then when he comes back and drew gets him roman's still standing up but his hands are on the cage and he's looking intently like all right step up kid what are we doing here so there's a little there is a little there and he did take the bullet for roman when sheamus was when when sheamus had him dead solo took the bullet for sheamus and then took out sheamus then took out drew so yeah good good shit there so a lot of a lot of quiet work from solo within that within that structure but i don't know it might be jay he's you know he's main event in raw he's main event in he's just getting a lot of stink put on him so i don't know i hope it doesn't like like our boy marcus would say i hope it doesn't happen anytime soon now before we jump off the re- the bloodline rocco i have a question for you mm-hmm. is there any fucking chance in hell that we get a red wedding scenario on SmackDown where they have a culmination of the bloodline, a big thing, and then they fucking turn on Sami Zayn. It seems very counterproductive to them. He's been nothing but an asset, so why would they? It's like a what is it? A they're gonna t- like the Randy Orton stupid thing that they did with the Evolution. Uh, like why? Like why do well, you do they, this? It's- they put a crack in his friendship with KO. They put a crack and they told they accepted him. They made him unvulnerable, and as soon as he feels love, they cut his head off. So they're just out there to ruin lives. I mean, in the past, I have had Roman issues. And you said it's all about the championship. So, like, to me, their MO has never been to just fuck with people. They want to be the top guys. So, to me, that seems a little uncharacteristic for them to do that. Yeah, but it's the bloodline. Like, we used him to win war games. And then when we won war games, we're done with them. Until someone's a liability, you keep them around. You know, until you get a lame lame leg, if we're through the woods, I just got to take out your other leg and then I run past you and let the bear eat you. So, like, until you're a liability, you're an asset. So, I don't see it happening. I hope if the rock comes around, I, I want Sami Zayn vibing around with all of them. Right. <laughs> Until know? there's a weird rumble situation, maybe where there's like, oh God, they could do something crazy with all four of them and the last four in the rumble. And he's there and then he makes a decision like there's some crazy shit so that could happen. Yeah. 
So, uh, but yeah, I, I don't see them getting rid of him until he really goes against them in a way that costs them money. And the me belt. either, but if they if they get cute, I could see a little angle alert coming on, and then maybe Sammy's out until the Royal Rumble as they stretcher him out and he's dead, and then you want to heat him up and have a moment. There you go. He's might be the way to make him actual heels again too, right? Yeah, because that that's that too also. And having the wise man, like you, we keep mentioning guys, but he's the the guy, right? Like he's, he's the one that fi- he put he finally put over Sammy in the press conference. So wise man might say it's time, you know. He's so, he's so good at anything he's involved with, and I'm assuming he has a lot to do with the backstage part of this too. So yeah. Yeah, but anyways, that's the bloodline of it all, guys. That's the first 30 minutes of this show, um, and it was well deserved. Uh, may have five star fever, but we'll see when the time comes. <laughs> All right, the next match here we have here is the other War Games match. Bianca Belair, Alexa Bliss, Asuka, Mia Yim, and Becky Lynch versus Damage Control of Bailey, Io Sky, and Dakota Dakai, and Nikki Cross and Rhea Ripley. Um, Jim, what did you think of the reveal of Becky on SmackDown? Now, did you think that it was a little heavy-handed? Did you think it was a great moment, or it was just a writing straw and would have been bigger if it was held for the pay-per-view? So I, I don't think it should have been held for the pay-per-view. Okay. Um, I, I kind of like having the idea of it being announced and, and having full teams together, especially if the reveal isn't as special or as awe-inspiring, not awe-inspiring, but like shock and awe. Becky... Becky's the right answer if you can't get your other answers involved. Um, she was involved in the storyline from SummerSlam, but yes. if it's not a big surprise of like Charlotte or Sasha or I, I think those are the only two um, announcing Becky on SmackDown is the right answer. It draws people in. It it has more. If there were any seats left at the TD Garden, sell them out. If there's anybody who doesn't have Peacock yet, buy it up. Like there's there's definitely name value behind Becky and doing it on SmackDown to drum up 24 hours worth of conversation. It's uh it's worthwhile. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm for it. She's the biggest star. She had a huge reaction. I actually, went to SmackDown and uh. UCLA is the only one that could defeat that. Um, no, it that was a little weird viewing. I think they just delayed it and uh, made it work. But um, even even logistically, though, like if she comes out, then they get a big pop and then she waits in a cage for five, 10, 20 minutes unless she goes out first. And that's yeah. not that doesn't make sense for the story because Bianca's the captain and she'd want to go out first. So exactly. Just, even logistically, it just wouldn't work. Yeah, but not, I'm just saying buzz-wise, you know, it's the whole buzz-wise of a, a surprise, but it was not needed. This, this pay-per-view was 15,600 people. This thing was sold to the rafters. Now, for instance, in 2008, when War G- or when Survivor Series was their last, there was 10,000 and change. So they fit an extra 5,000 people in this arena. And like an allude to, it was fucking packed. But anyways, Be- Becky Lynch is the biggest star within that company, within that division, company uh, division-wise, so... Yeah, I'm sure it was a little sti- uh, little ratings bump, too, in a way. Now, Rossi, I was not able to go back and rewatch this women's match. Uh, I thought it was pretty good live. They took a lot of spots. They, there wasn't much story, so you could see why they got a little spotty. They got a little heavy, but, you know, is what it is. It, it was a pretty good match. It, uh, they took a lot of risks. 
a little too many dives off the cages that but hey it was warranted it was good rossi how was this on second viewing i thought it was better than live um i thought that live it was cool um not really exciting entrances i feel like that's the kind of the thing that the war games lacks is like you get the entrances with the musics and then they they play the they play their you know alarm or whatever and then they like walk out or run out i don't know i feel like you know get that rumble rare rumble aspect you want to hear their theme as they're jumping into the ring right but i mean the whole build to this was kind of wacky adding becky the night before you know you had to really kind of be reminded why she you know hated these guys um, because it happened so long ago and then there was wonkiness with like mia yim and like what what the hell is her name she got introduced as mishin mia yim into the live crowd um but i mean they, they all played their part they all worked hard um i thought that you know, EO and Asuka, they did just enough to make you continue to want to see that match without actually giving it to you. I thought going into it, they were going to open with those two, but I'm kind of glad they did it now, right? Because yeah. then you you were able to have Bianca go bell to bell, and then you have um, Dakota come in as one of the vets, you know, to really make everything go. And they, I really like how they harp live, I mean, on the um, broadcast with, you know, who had experience in NXT. Really good, though. I mean, I thought that the culmination to the end... When they kind of like, I hate to you know bash the the undergirls here, but they kind of left it for the main eventers um, at the end of the match, right? Between Bianca Bailey and her crew and Becky, right? Um, they kind of took Rhea out with the misting and and all of that stuff. But overall, live, I mean, the Becky pop was was huge. You know, opening the show with her music hitting was cool. Um, but you know, the the high spots here between. Nikki jumping off the cage between EO's, you know, signature cage moonsault to the Becky jump. I mean, Becky coming back from injury and doing that bump right off the bat. I, would, I wouldn't have had her on the bingo card or somebody jumping off the cage. But, you know, they got their their package material for future years on this match for sure. Yeah. Um, overall, I, I liked it a lot. I mean, it's it's probably like a like a three and a quarter um, when we all get to the bottom of it. But, you know, matches like this, I don't think I'm watching them for star quality right i'm watching it for the chaos of it and it was really cool to see you know the first main roster one be the women the one thing i will say though is obviously it cannot happen because you know the women's stars are equivalent basically to the men's stars now i almost feel like the entire war games concept gets hurt a little bit by by there being two in the show um this kind of you know, part of it fit as far as the feud, like the bloodline feud fit. Like it was all people that made made sense with here. Like they befriended Rhea like two weeks before the show. Like it kind of seemed like, oh, we got a war games. We got to put a women's war games together when they may have really only had the horses to do like a three on three. Right. So that was where the excitement for this really wasn't there rolling in. But I thought live it was fun. But I really thought, I mean, Cole and, and Graves were awesome on this with you know, their callbacks to prior um, war games matches in NXT, which, you know, an events era they're not doing, right? Um, but I also feel like the intro of this show, when they started with, um, and I, I guess I didn't really notice this live because live, you don't really know when you're live on TV, right? But between the Aussie stuff to open, cutting right to the Colin Graves ringside, you're, it felt like a UFC show watching it on TV because, like, you know, they always cut to, the UFC announcers before they go to the first fight. 
a Vince thing is almost like they come back from the video and it goes right to the first theme song that the rest are coming out here. They kind of hype your crowd. They want, they slowly bring the cage down. They cut to the announcers. You don't feel that as much live as you do in, on, on the, the TV. Um, and, and I honestly felt like I'm, I'm hyped watching this on the TV almost like I was live. Right. So mm-hmm. I really thought that the presentation, it felt like a uh, takeover. Um, and this was the first time I felt that with the main roster because, you know, they kind of, this really felt like a Triple H show, and I think that the piecing together of this match felt like almost exactly like one of the TakeOver War games, and I think that's really cool seeing like bigger name stars in this type of match. Yeah, for sure. Good stuff. I haven't rewatched it, so I can't really... It's on my list, but I, I haven't really gotten to round to it, but live, like I said, I, I, I enjoyed it very much so. So, Rocco, what did you think of the match, one? And then, two, it seems like we're getting Becky Bailey and Alexa Bianca, perhaps, up next. Thoughts on all three? Yeah, um, loved it. Um, it's um, once again with the things with the weapons and uh, even the no top of cage. It's just the limitations of having to establish this match as like a whim. De- There's no whim destroying really that happens in WWE now. So like weapons are a quick way to be. This is punishment. This is going to be just decimate people until the end of the match. So I think a lot of that stuff is because of that. Um, the men's match is funny because the men's match is like a rush album, like a prog rock album. And the women's match was more like grindcore, death metal or Dylan Dorscape. And like it was just chaos and madness because they didn't have the story that um, the men did, you know. So this one, I mean, there was still the, the damage control of it, but that's not this epic fucking tale. So um, that's just my opinion of the match. I love it. I love a nice car crash like that. I like every person in this match, kind of. I always have a soft spot for me, a yim, because I used to go to some CZW shows where that woman took some horrible verbal um, attacks from people. So I'll always have, I'll always have a very nice, uh, I always have a little soft spot for her. But uh, leading up to the next matches, yeah, it, it's it's interesting for for Becky because like she's a loner, so her going against Bailey is good because it could finally get rid of the damage control, the three on three thing, because that's mm-hmm. gone now, right? Becky doesn't ask for help; she helped Bianca. But she would never ask for help, right? So that's her character. So her going against damage control is cool because she could go through people to get to Bailey and just get her revenge. And it's a match that is going to be interesting and has some history. It's kind of sucks that the champs are the people she has to go to. That's just a problem with the women's tag team division, which doesn't exist. So it kind of sucks that she has to go through the champ tag champs to get to her. Um, so I think that's cool. Um, yeah, Alexa as the uh, Bianca uh, next up. Like, I think it's something that you've mentioned is definitely cool for me. I think Alexa needs to turn without Bray first and then maybe lose to Bianca. And then maybe if she's ever going to wind up with Bray again, it should not be the initial thing going. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think those, I think those are really cool ways to go about it, the the stuff that you uh, laid out with that. Um, and I just think the big issue right now is that the entire Wims division was in this match. Like, <laughs> and that's the thing we've always talked about, the mid card. Besides Candice... Every woman on the roster was in this match, on the, on the Raw roster, besides in, injured people. So that's a major problem. Like, NXT has more women than Raw does, and SmackDown. So that's a thing that needs to be addressed. So you could have people not in main card things. We've talked about this a million times. So Yeah. And yeah. also, Rhea Ripley threw a dropkick that was amazing in this fucking match. Uh, I forgot that she is super athletic because she's just been a brawler and a big, like, strong presence with the Judgment Day. But she threw an amazing dropkick that fucking blew my mind in this match. Yeah, she low-key shined throughout the whole thing, and she was really, like, stuck up for sure by now before it soars out. You know Absolutely, I mean? yeah. Like, she like, very uh, almost, yeah, I'm sorry. Just remind reminded me of, like, the Mae Young stuff she did when she was like, oh, yeah, I forgot she's, like, a Brock Lesnar-style athlete. 
Yeah, and now she and now she has the character and the presence and all that stuff down. So it, she yeah. was always the complete package in ring. Well, becoming the complete package in ring. You know, mm-hmm. she was always she was a bridesmaid that can go in there and have awesome matches with like Charlotte and whatever. But now she's like she's ascending. So good for her. All right, the next match we got here is Austin Theory versus Seth Rollins versus Bobby Lashley for the U.S. title. I thought this was fantastic live. Have not been able to go back and watch it live, but overall, I would. Um, it was a car crash. It was fast. It was impactful. It was worked very well. It told a pretty decent story. And your boy Theory came out looking strong. Now, um, I'm going to randomly each give you guys a guy. And I want you to tell me what's next and your thoughts on the match. Rossi, let's start with you. What's next with Seth Rollins? Is he uh, He's going to flirt with Theory a little while. That, that kid promo on Raw was a pretty good one, if you happen to catch that one. I dug the energy there. But uh, what's up for the for the uh the, your boy Rollins? I don't know. I mean Rollins. I think um I think we need to start getting him out. Of, but it's tough because I want to say move him out of the U.S. title picture, but that's the primary title on Raw, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think Cody's back soon. It. Just, I don't think they're gonna wait till the Rumble. Um, the fact that his wife is kind of talking about how they think that he he's he looks a hundred percent the way that Rollins mentioned him on TV last week, I think Cody's coming back sooner than later. Um, I know it's kind of a weird spot, right? Maybe like the first Monday after the new year. Um, I don't know. There's, it's tough, but I mean, also you get him back by Christmas, then he can do the whole house show loop, I guess, um, to get his ring, ring rust off. Uh, so there's a lot of different ways I can go with this, but I mean, there's got to be maybe, you know, we've talked in the past about how are they going to do a Cody Rollins feud if Rollins is a baby. Um, you don't have to. You can kind of veer back from that a little bit to get the feud over and done with. Maybe do like a big TV match blow off with the two of them, considering mm-hmm. the fact that we've already seen them on pay-per-view three times. Right. Yeah. That operating, you know, against maybe an NFL playoff game in, in January. Right. So that's kind of the road I would go. And that can kind of get Cody hot for the rumble. Um, and, you know, save the, you know, save the rumble returns for other things. If you maybe can dig something up um, like the rock, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, I, I, if Cody's ready, I, I don't, I say, don't wait, you know, bring him back and get this feud going and kind of get it over with because, you know, while, while their matches are awesome, I don't really need to see it bogging down pay-per-views into the new year. I'd rather them do a big blow off on TV, pop a big rating and, uh, you know, move on to the rumble and then you can get Rollins as a baby face full blown from there. Yeah, today I think Cody is five and a half closer to six months. Christmas will be six months, definitely. So, yeah, it's it's right around the corner. And you assume all things well. You know, he's he's a hardworking guy. He wants it. His, he knew he was hot when he left in his times now. So I'm probably and this felt like a veer away from Rollins in the U.S. title for a potential Cody match. And they definitely shouldn't feud. They should have a blow off and get to whatever they got to get to. All right. Uh. Not the tour, man. Uh, thoughts on the match, and what's next for Bobby Lashley? Um, I was thoroughly impressed by this triple threat. I haven't necessarily been the highest on Austin Theory, um, but this was a step in the right direction for me as far as his rehabilitation goes. Um, I thought it, it definitely exceeded expectations. Uh, you guys got my blood boiling. You guys started talking about the nightmare narcotic that is Cody Rhodes, and it just got me just all red chested waiting for Cody to come back. But uh, you say adrenaline in your veins. 
that, that that's all in my soul. It's 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 there. I'm I'm jacked. I'm psyched. I'm pumped. I'm amped. I'm here for everything, Cody Rhodes. Um, and that's why that's what's next for Lashley. No, I'm kidding. Um, I don't know what's next for Lashley. Um, good question, huh? I, I it, don't. It, I, I couldn't tell you either. Yeah, and it's. I, I don't. I think there's a possibility that he might be the first challenger for Austin Theory um, for the United States Championship, considering that he, he his involvement in the thing was that he lost the title unceremoniously due to Brock Lesnar. I think whatever he's going to do is just going to be a speed bump and it's going to set him up for what comes at WrestleMania for him that I don't think will be U.S. title related. But for the here and now, I think he kind of floats around. He's another one of those players I mentioned before with, you know, Sammy and Jay. The Royal Rumble is going to smile on Bobby Lashley. Like right now, it, it WWE's in such like a weird spot that right now there's about a th- you could probably fit about 10 possible winners right now from WWE television alone mm-hmm. in the Royal Rumble. And Bobby Lashley, without question, is one of them um, to see Bobby and Roman go at it again for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship would be uh, phenomenal. But I think for now, it's Lashley and it's Austin Theory for the U.S. title. Because I just don't see anything else coming close to being enough to garner Lashley's attention on Monday nights. Now, Rocco, thoughts on the match and what's next for Austin Theory? I just think like a lot of the stuff you're talking about, like what's next for Lashley and all these like things. It's like that's the biggest issue with the not two world champs. Right. And it really is showing now when you try to think of stuff like that, because you kind of want like for me, this match was kind of like theories on his. First off, I'm the same way with you, Tim. I've never been that high in theory. I think this is finally his great, his good match. You know, he's a fine guy, but this is like his hang your hat on match that he had. Um, I think the template for this match was like one of the best triple threat templates. I mean, it's not like uh, Austin uh, Angle and uh, who else was in that match? You know what I'm talking about with the star power, but just the way it's set up, it was just perfectly done without a lot of, I, I don't know. I just really enjoyed the structure of it. So, but you're like, yeah, and I think for him now is that I think he has so much more he could do now without the fucking stupid briefcase weighing him down, and he could just be this U.S. title guy. And that's the thing is like, it should be the the mid card title, but now it's is it the main title? Because a lot of guys, like you're saying, ten dudes could be guys that could be against Roman, but a lot of guys don't seem important enough to fight Roman, you know? So. I like the idea of getting both, and I'm not a Rollins guy. His dead eyes, and I just am not into Rollins. But uh, a guy like Alash, like you're saying, like he should be a world title guy. So the U.S. title seems lower than him. And you kind of when I see theory winning, it kind of makes me think of like finally getting to the echelon of having the six, seven main dudes who could all be viable guys for the world title. And the the, the Roman having both is a thing that really kind of. it's so, so that's just my perception. A lot of guys don't seem important enough to fight him. And that's the thing for me that like I don't see certain guys as a main event guy for Roman, where I'd love to see a, a street, we'll talk about this later, like a street profits break up and you get one of those guys win the rumble and fight. Well, probably not Roman though, 
maybe the other world title, you know, something cool like that. And that's that's the thing that it's not about this match necessarily, but it's about the whole picture of where the mid-card titles lie and how Roman's stature is so much higher than a lot of them. So I think getting it on theory and maybe trying to find a way to get Lashley and Seth more just as world title guys is a cool way that they need to figure out to get going forward. Yeah, good shit. Oh, yeah, this was the best like rest, wrestling match on the card. You know, with War Games was the best spectacle, best match overall match. But this was like a very well under the underappreciated match on the card, uh, kind of fl- flying under the radar um, respect wise in a way, let's say. And not, right. not one to ever give Seth Rollins props, but I'm going to assume he as the guy who's been in a million triple threat matches was probably doing a lot in this match to keep it together. I'm not sure. Once again, don't like him. Don't ever want to see him. But I'll give him a little props for that. Cause I feel like he might have been the, the general running the, the, the game. Yeah. For sure. Kudos to kudos to Seth. All right, the next match we got here is AJ Styles versus Finn Balor. A few things here, guys. Um, this felt long, but it was it it reminded me of a better version of the Edge AJ WrestleMania match where it was very good but slowly built in like kind of on a rough spot on the card. This was right after Women's War uh, War Games match, so it was kind of just. Well, there's five matches, you know, they have to be somewhere. So it was kind of placed there. It was slow going. Um, But once they kind of did that little angle with the uh, with the two, the OC and the Judgment Day fighting off and fighting off these guys, these guys are two vets, man. You know, I don't want to say past their prime. They can still be very, very effective in a WWE ring. And uh, those these both these guys can go. They're both well respected and well liked throughout the fan base, wherever you are within that fan base. If you're a Balor guy, if you're an AJ guy, um, if you're a work rate guy, if you're an old character guy, whatever, you, you probably respect these guys. So they went out there, they told a good story. They took their time and the right guy won. I think this is AJ's first pin on, <laughs> on WWE pay-per-view in a long ass time. And especially in a singles match. So, um, yeah, everything leading up to the finish here, guys, I, 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 I dug, it was good stuff. A little slow going. I'd probably say like three and three quarters, three and a half, four if you're like a mark for these guys, maybe. Nothing higher than that, though. It didn't really hit that plateau, but overall, great, great match. Now, my question to you is, was it the right outcome for AJ to win, Rocco? I think so. I think the OC kind of needed a win in this, Um, just kind of needed it. And it, in a way, their winning kind of made Rhea's (laughs) stock go up because it kind of proves that. She's needed. Uh, you'll yeah, she talk wasn't about out there. Great call. She wasn't out there. And then the next night she was. And I think we know what happened there. So it really gives her the rub of saying she is the most important part. You know, she is the main deal. Um, in regards to the match, it's just one of those matches that it's I think we just have to stop anticipating uh, AJ Styles having fucking Nakamura matches like he had and these crazy things because he's just a great wrestler who's been around forever, who could have matches. I think he's the type of guy, like, if Stone Cold watched this match and talked about it on his podcast, he'd be like, look how tight that was, look how good these guys are, they're great. If you're a wrestler, it's probably the most perfect way to watch a wrestling match. No one got hurt, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. And they're all good, but the expectations are so high, you know? It's kind of like one of those things where you don't want to you don't want to make coffee too well at your job, because then everyone's going to make you make you make coffee for the rest of your life. Like, that's, well, it's not the best analogy, but I'm just saying, like, we got to stop expecting this dude to just put on these amazing, crazy fucking matches because he just puts on really good matches with the nice stories. Um, yes, I probably tuned out a little bit during it, but uh, it doesn't mean it wasn't good. And uh, yeah, so uh, right choice, fine match. And he's just kind of in that, they're they're kind of in that, uh, AJ's kind of in that edge point where like, I don't know if the matches are always for me, 
but I appreciate what he's doing in it. And I know he's, yeah, that's probably the best way to put it. Now, you know, someone pitched in a writer's meeting when they're pitching Survivor Series. Hey, I got a great idea. Let's do Luke Gallows, Carl Anderson, AJ Styles, and Mia Yim versus the whole Judgment Day. And we'll call it an eight-person tag, and we can figure out the eliminations, and we can do all that. And then they're like, oh, that's a great idea. But then they realize, like Rocco said, fuck, we have no mid-card on the women's division, so we kind of need Mia Yim and and Rhea for the war games. And they're like, oh, fuck, we had that fun Survivor Series match. Nah, let's just do it on Raw the next night. That's kind of what it felt like. But honestly, man, I thought that match was super fun on Raw. Um, Rossi, did you happen to catch it? And what'd you think of it? I liked it. I actually liked the Mia-Rhea match on its own before they turned it into the eight, eight man or whatever. Um, really fun. I mean, I love, especially like the no commercials thing. It kind of made me yeah. wish that I never had commercials. I mean, wrestling just so much better with our commercials. Right. Um, but when they said, yeah, when they said that it was um, commercial free, I'm like, what, what do they have tonight to, to be worthy of this? Right. And then they open with Becky. I'm like, all right. And then they go right into that, that filled the rest of the hour. So then it made sense. So I like that aspect because I think that could have, died a very quick death if they did have commercials and rest holes and stuff but they kind of went all action all energy and i think everybody looked good one crazy spot i think when aj speared somebody and it pretty much folded Rhea back that was fucking scary um i don't know if you caught that but it looked like Rhea was like her clock completely cleaned in that point um i wish that spot didn't happen but other than that it was a really cool match yeah good stuff if you haven't checked that out check that out that would definitely be a top five match of the week now, Tim, two things. I'm going to throw a curveball. Let's take Severe off this, but stay in our lane here. I mean, Dominic Mysterio and Rhea Ripley show up at, for Thanksgiving. Did you see that? And what the fuck did you think? That's the business right there. <laughs> that yeah. is, that's rest, That's the most wrestling thing that they could have possibly done. It was so good. Um, what Rhea wants, Rhea gets. Uh you mentioned WCW before, Tim, and that's a very WCW angle right there, right? That's like the right. most perfect it's, invading the home like that. It was perfect. It's like the horseman, tr- like the horseman tailing Dusty and then mm-hmm. jumping him. Like <laughs> it is yeah. absolutely perfect. Like Ray in the boot, Ray not knowing they're coming. So he's like he has to go and find his mask because there's a camera there <laughs> and he has to put the mask on, you know, kayfabe. So good. And it's like, not crooked. Yeah. yeah, it's like, Dominic, why are you here? And, like, it's it's so great. Um, I can't wait for them to have a match at WrestleMania that's way better than anything that I could have imagined. Um, but, yeah, that, that, that Thanksgiving thing was tremendous. It really was. I want to give kudos to it. As a kid who ruined many holidays as a young man, <laughs> I could appreciate that move by Dominic right there. <laughs> not surprised, Rocco. Not surprised. <laughs> All right, what's next for the Judge of Days of the OC? This thing's got to be around the corner finishing, Tim. Uh, do, do we get like a hurt business against one of these guys, or do we? What, what, what's next? It's really sad to say because I've been really, really high on the Judgment Day. I don't know that I care what is next for either of them. Because like edge lurking, I forget, you forget about that. Yeah. I mean, you have edge lurking, but that's going to end up being like, because if edge comes around, who, who does edge go after? If you do it, is it automatically a mixed tag? And then that pulls Rhea away from Dom because there's no way the match is going to be 
Eddie or Edge and Beth versus Dom and Rhea because Dom's got Ray. So it's a six person with Beth and Rhea and then it's Finn and Dom and in, in either event. Um, I just don't know what's next. There's it, it would be nice to see, you know, the Judgment Day turn their sights on the bloodline. Yeah. That I'm I'm interested in that because it's like the two biggest groups in the WWE. Um but the bloodline has so much meat on their table, it's they they gotta work through they still gotta work through the brawling brutes. They're not done by a long shot. They've got KO still, they've got they've got Drew still. Um the OC's in a weird spot because it's just I thought that, you know, with Big LG and and Machine Gunna coming back, it was going to be like a breath of fresh air for AJ. But instead, it just feels like a retread. And I know AJ was kind of lost in this Judgment Day shuffle. So I think we're just going to keep getting more of the six man. We haven't we haven't had a traditional three on three Judgment Day and OC yet. We had the six person, but. Or the eight man on Raw, but I think we're gonna get to that at some point. Unfortunately, I don't think that they're gonna be rid of themselves because we're in we're in a bit of a dry period. Like the the best thing for us is that there's no premium live events until the Royal Rumble, but the worst thing for us is that there's no premium live events until the Rumble. So we're just gonna be lost in this spin cycle of we can't do too many cool things because we have to save the cool things for January, February, and March. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe more the of the same. Compelling, you know. Football's ending, or football. They, they got They can't get crushed this month against football. And I don't know. I, I trust them to want to do something and keep the product hot heading into the Royal Rumble season. No. One thing I will say too is they're gonna have to put a stop to this soon, or at least do something, because Carl Anderson's going to Japan December fourteenth, and I don't think that he's gonna be there for three days you know what i mean so i think that there's going to be something that breaks this feud up for a little bit because i don't think uh and i know gallows is going supposedly going as well for um the dome so i think that they're probably going to be away from tv for a little bit so they might have to figure something else out whether they do like an injury angle or something i don't know i wonder if this is it honestly you know maybe they sign like a three or four month deal and then shock you know it's all chalk from here you never know. But anyways, all right, Rossi, take us home. What did you think of Ronda and Shotzi? It was definitely the weakest match on the card. I don't know if it was as bad as people are saying, but it was definitely boring. What say you, buddy? I watched it back today. I don't think it was as bad as people think it is. And, I mean, and on live, I didn't really care much for it. But, it I mean, a pit break, you know? it was seven minutes. Like, yeah. And they worked hard. I mean, I... The Shotzi comes off the top rope and Ronda catches her into a judo throw. I mean, I've never fucking seen that before. Um, I thought that Shayna pushing Ronda out of the way and for her to take the tope was cool. Um, I thought that the spot into the crowd was cool. Obviously, they had a couple plants there to catch him. But, I mean, for seven minutes, I mean, what were people expecting? You know what I mean? Um, I mean, Shotzi... Oh, like 17, though. <laughs> it took a while, but honestly, watching it back, everything kind of made sense. I mean, it's... It's a way to build more heat for Ronda. Um, the crowd fucking hated her, which is good. Um, they are starting to say, like, she's the biggest, baddest bitch in town. 
Um, which obviously this is eventually going to turn into a, a Becky feud. Um, obviously, I mean, they've got to blow that off uh, at some point. Right. Um, so I think that we are in a spot now. It's kind of like a crossroads around. I don't think that post mania, you're going to see her again. <laughs> I think that she's going to be kind of over it because you can kind of tell she's going through the motions now. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I, Shotzi's really not done much for me on the main roster, but I thought she worked really hard. And again, I didn't notice it live, but um, on the rewatch, you could tell that she had a little bit of fire. She knew it was a big match for her. Um, and Ronda played a heel good. I mean, if anybody was going into this match expecting a four-star classic, then, you know, that's their problem. Um, if you kind of just, you know, put it in a bottle and, and watch this as the seven-minute match it is, the, the positive is they kept it short. They didn't try to make it something it was never going to be. And, you know, am I saying, hey, it's it's an awesome match, go watch it? No, but people are talking about it like it's the worst thing that ever happened. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> I'm like, we watched the, sorry, sorry, Rocco, but we watched the Liv Morgan Ronda feud, and those matches suck worse. Um, right. So I think that Shotzi did pretty good in this spot and, and a, kind of a dead spot for her, you know? Yeah, it was a rough spot to be in, but, you know, they got through it. All right, guys, so that was that was the... Survivor Series card, and I think it was a home run. Um, let's do some quick hitters and kind of dance around SmackDown, what wasn't on Survivor Series, dance what around Raw, what wasn't on Survivor Series, and just kind of get an overall feel of really what's going on as we head into the holiday season. Bray Wyatt versus LA Knight is a feud that I did not expect to see. Um, guys, let me tell you, Bray Wyatt's a fucking star. <laughs> During I was on that SmackDown, like I said earlier, and just the anticipation of, like, the, the blue lights and like the forest coming out, the fucking place was as loud as any peak that they had at the Survivor Series. And um, you can't shit on him. It, it's over. He's over. Um, it's Is it working to an extent? Yeah. Um, LA Knight's in a unique spot. It's, it's like he's fresh on the roster. He did the maximum male model thing. Um, Triple H obviously likes him. Low-key saved his job, so for Triple H to like him and probably suggest him and put him in this spot, I'm curious what's next, because obviously Bray's, you know, kind of going over here. Do they have a match or two? Does, does, uh, maybe LA wins the first one, but I don't, and because of character development or whatever, howdy, duty, or whatever that has to go by, maybe, I don't know, but Knight seems like a star, Bray's delivering compelling TV. I'm not bored with it all. He hasn't wrestled yet. And I trust um, LA Knight, like, cause he's, he, Bray can go in there and he doesn't have to like do the fiend bullshit to kill a monster or a guy or not a monster, like a guy above him wrestling skill wise. LA Knight is an upper mid card kind of guy that's like, has a decent ceiling, but is old. So I'm cur- I'm like super curious of the, all of this. Now, Tim, what do you think of this? I, I don't know if you're a Bray guy. I don't know if you're an L.A. Knight guy, but you're an opinion that I'm very curious about all of this. Let me talk to you about it real quick. Uh, yeah. Yeah, dummy. Um, to me, I think L.A. Knight's the perfect first foil for Bray. Um, ever since Bray had come back to the WWE, um, I had always thought that his first real feud is versus himself. Um mm-hmm with with the different perceived personalities that we're seeing between the rabbit man and and uncle howdy and whoever else um but with it being 
L.A. Knight and being yes, I did the finger point, um, but with it Sorry. being L.A. Knight and Uncle Howdy targeting him and Bray kind of following that lead and the fact that Bray is saying, you know, it's not me. I'm not the I didn't do this to him. Um, it kind of points at, you know, is this a split personality for Bray? Is Uncle Howdy actually somebody different? Is this finally going to lead to the physical on-screen debut of the Uncle Howdy character and whoever it is under that mask, whoever that may be? I'll leave the speculations alone, but I think it's good. Um, it's somebody who can go to go toe to toe with Bray at his strongest facet, which is obviously the Mike game. Mm-hmm. Um, the match is going to be just a thing that happens to signify this feud, but everything they've done so far has just had me uh, chomping at the bit for more. So I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. That's a really good way of putting it. Salivating yeah. for more. You know I mean, like him that he's he might be the best guy to fight this version of Bray because he could just he could talk his own stuff while Bray's doing his own thing and it's like it's almost gonna be like one of those things where Knight's a jerk but Bray Bray is doing in his promos a little bit too of like he's kind of healing on the fans a tiny bit where he's saying you want to see me self destruct you want to see me be crazy mm-hmm. and it's kind of like all right like I heard that right but it's like they're still cheering him so like he's kind of probably going to be the villain in this, right? Because he's, LA Knight's just a jerk. He's just a braggadocious, he's the rock and just being, the, you know, like, and so like Bray. Great fucking, value, rock. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to say the Brock and McFoy. It's not the same thing in my brain, but uh, yeah. So I think it is the perfect guy for him because Knight is always entertaining. And I don't think Bray's had a guy that's that entertaining on the mic to feud with where they could both be doing their thing. But I really do think that the, the Bray is the heel in this, in this feud. Could end it's it. Gonna, yeah. It's, yeah, the baby. Yeah. It ends the heel, perhaps. Mm-hmm. We still don't know what's going on, honestly. Um, Bray, like you said, Tim, he could be feuding with himself. And then L.A. Knight is just so charismatic and fills a lot of verbiage and kind of is just a guy to feud with a part of that personality. And maybe that's what it is until Bray kind of figures out his lane and gets in a groove. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's curious. It, it's curious to see. Because with it, all of Bray Wyatt's stories. They're always interconnected and there's always a purpose and there's always a reason. Like the only time we ever see that Wyatt six firefly or, or anything related to anyone else, it's LA night and it's Alexa. Mm. And that's it. Other than yeah. Bray. Yeah. Maybe the butterflies is, is like his feelings or his, or a sense of one of his six senses or whatever. You know what I mean? Maybe that's when one of his six senses of one of his Wyatt six come out, you know, if it's anger or if it's whatever. I don't really don't know how to describe it. (laughs) Well, now you're just you're giving the plot for Inside Out at this point. Like just all of all of Bray's emotions are people and they just live outside of the world of of WWE. But um, one thing I've learned over time with. The Bray Wyatt experience is you have to let the game come to you. You're never going to be able to put the puzzle together. Things are going to unfold and then they eventually will. So for me, at least, it's a lot easier to sit back 
and watch and just be a dumb fan <laughs> and let it all happen as opposed to like being like uh that meme from it's always sunny where i've just got the the board behind me with string and push pins <laughs> trying to conspiracy theory everything it's it's way it's way easier just to watch it all unfold and and just go for the ride and then bitch about it later when it doesn't go the way you wanted it yeah and in the best part of this now tim is it's kind of always been like that but now you don't have a, a an old man pulling pulling the legs out on you know your ideas and your tea leaves and your hints and your storytelling and all that stuff now they hire someone to kind of connect the dorts and have a long-term storyboard it's sunny philadelphia or not you know what i mean so Right. I don't know. I'm encouraged by it. I'm optimistic about it. And uh, I kind of trust it. I'm not going to lie. I think L.A. Knight is most likely going to lose this feud. And I think he's going to come out a bigger star on the on the other end of it. And for a company that doesn't have a lot of not in ring action, like this is very fun. Not always in ring stuff, too. And uh, in the Tim, I just got to know who's going to be bing bong in your inside out analogy. We'll discuss that some other day. But uh <laughs> Hey, whatever. I like that something popped you, Rocco. I love <laughs> close lines and headlines, B sides, where we uh, discuss GWWE hot takes and Bing Bong. Oh yeah, <laughs> excellent. Takes are Moana. We'll talk it all. <laughs> all right, guys. The next thing we got here as a quick hitter is the World Cup's finals. Ricochet in a stunning upset defeated Ron Strowman last week on SmackDown, and now he's going to go heads up against Santos Escobar. Rocco. Who's facing Gunther? Yes. Um, man, I am so into Santos. Uh, I love his character. I think he's awesome. I think he's an awesome wrestler. Um, I was a fan of him in Lucha Underground. I, I've watched a lot of his cool shit in uh, in uh, Mexico. Um, Zelina on the mic was incredible on, on SmackDown. She is such a fucking uh, stroke of, like, just grabbing her to do anything. Wrestling, talking. She is. Yes, yes. That was so good. She is a beast. She's great at everything she does. Um and Escobar, too, is not a small man. He's a big dude. He's got a great look. His music is cool. And if you do watch some of his, like, if you think Lucha is just, like, flippy-doo stuff, like, you know, Lucha brawls are some of the best, coolest brawls you could watch. Um, he's big enough to go one-on-one with Gunther. Uh, watch some of the stuff that he's had some, uh, his Lucha's Day of Plus's match where he lost his ma- mask was really cool. Uh, I think he lost to L.A. Park, and that match was a fucking brawl and a uh, it was just insane. So I think that match is going to be a low-key match of the year contender in my brain. And it's wow. going to be Santos. I think that guy is going to be the big, a huge thing in the next year. So. I hope so. I think I dig him. I'm into it. I, like you said, I'm glad you mentioned the music. The music's fantastic. As soon as I hear his name, dun, 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 it's just that music just adds swagger to that whole presentation and adds swagger to him. And, uh, Alexa what? Lopez's presence is missing, but Zelina is two times better. What's and up? she could go in the ring way more than uh, Alexa yeah, could. No, and once again, another perfect NXT call-up. It's the same thing, but better, and it fits perfectly. Like, th- it's amazing. Like, if you, with Trips, the guy bringing these from there to here, and they just work seamlessly. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe we're on a good path with the uh, NXT stuff uh, coming to the main roster. I, I feel like it's a double upgrade. Like, I, I feel as though... Zelina got an upgrade from Andrade with a better English speaking luchador. Plus she also gets the underrated portion of two Oh five and live uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Cruz del Toro. And then of course they upgrade Electra Lopez with Zelina Vega. So it's a win-win all across the board. 
Elliott. Yeah, those those that team can go. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And uh, as a tag team, being undersized doesn't necessarily matter. You know what I mean? So, you know, good stuff there. Bright future for Legato. All right, so speaking of Gunther, they're clearly building Gunther for Strowman. Um, I'm not really necessarily upset or I saw outraged that Gunther towered to Strowman or whatever. That's just cheap heel heat. Strowman is a monster. You know, the character is well done. Uh, he's not necessarily for me or for everybody, so to speak, but um, he's over huge. Whenever I'm at a live event, especially recently, he always gets a bit pretty big pop. So um, Braun's over. He's a house show act. He's for the kids. He's for the families. I'll give him his due. He's a good professional wrestler for a big man within the WWE structure. So, uh, Braun Strowman's kudos to you. Um, but I'm pretty jazzed up. All being, all that being said, I'm pretty jazzed up to see him versus Gunther. Rossi, will that live up to the hype that I'm giving it? Oh, I, I, I think Gunther, it's a good challenge for him too, because I mean, how often has he ever had matches against guys bigger than him? Um, I mean, that was my next point. Yeah. His indie runs were like, you know, always him beating the hell out of, you know, smaller guys. And, and he had his matches with his Keith Lees and, and stuff like that. But this is a whole different level. Um, but I would do it at the Rumble. And, and here's why. Um, I want to keep Braun Strowman out of the Rumble because I feel like a Rumble will probably have an Omas in it with a do the big, big man spots. I don't need two of them. Um, dominating the eliminations. Um, so give us one in the rumble, one that's not in the rumble. Um, and then from there, you know, these two can do their thing. I mean, in, in that match, I think Gunther to a smart crowd in Texas will be the babyface, um, which, you know, isn't necessarily a bad thing because this guy, that would really be his biggest pay-per-view spot since he's come up, right? He's kind of been away from the pay-per-view scene for the most part. He's had, Obviously, he had the Extreme Rules um, barroom fight or whatever they called it, which was fucking awesome. But I think of the Sheamus was, match. Yeah, well, the Sheamus match, yeah, out of the country, right. But I guess, you know, this would be like a big four, his first big four match. Maybe that's how I, I should have explained it. Um, so, I mean, and Strowman's got the star power that, you know, if he wins that, it'll really elevate him to whatever they want to do with him at the Rumble. I mean, I'm sorry, I mean which knock on wood i still hope is john cena um but hey we'll cross that bridge when we get to it but i think this hold this till rumble kind of let it organically build and i think that you know have them do house shows together in the meantime so it's not their first time in there together and i think they could have a fun match yeah i i have actually have high hopes for it like i said stroman gets hate under he's a very good wwe big man wrestler so uh i'm uh i'm kind of for it all right that's the smackdown side of things for the quick hitters now uh tim the Miz, Dexter, Johnny. Dexter finally has this contract. Um, it is what it was that, you know, Dexter Loomis isn't there to go out there and have killer matches, so to speak. But um, I liked how he got the money. Pierce showed up. They pierced. They dusted Pierce off. Um, Gargano is OK. He's starting to get a little more grounded as a character. He's less annoying and he's just kind of less corny. So, um it's, this is kind of starting to find its fitting. I wouldn't mind Loomis around him in real life. Well, on TV, real life. And then um, the Miz part of thing, I popped huge when he stole that $100 from that kid. That was uh, <laughs> that was fucking great. Uh, I love that shit. But anyways, Tim, where are we at with these three? Uh, and uh, what's up? A little too much Johnny Gargano for my taste. Um yeah. I'm starting to already suffer from Gargano fatigue. Um, 
it just seems like he's uh he's a person who when he's there's people who when they're on screen they like command attention but then there's Johnny and it's almost like he demands it he's a um, in my opinion six of one half dozen of another um <laughs> i cannot doubt what Johnny Gargano does inside the ring but not for me um i love Dexter Loomis um or as my my girlfriend likes to refer to him as is Buff Dangle from uh, Reno 911. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rocco. Yeah, she. Uh, there's like three people in wrestling that my girlfriend knows. One is Buff Dangle, one is Jim Ross, and one is Dan Housen. And that's like, if I can get one of those three, like for her to like notice it, uh, she she just smiles whenever they're on. Um, I'm sad that this isn't going to make that this feud isn't going to kind of make it to WrestleMania 40 where we can get a dream match between the Miz and a random opponent versus Dexter Loomis and Gritty. Um, that would be a really great WrestleMania 40 celebrity match. Um, but I'm curious where things kind of go. I think with the limitations of Dexter not talking, either gonna, he's going to be handcuffed to Johnny for a while and the Miz is Teflon. He always gets involved in things and tries to make things work. And I mean, I think the best that Dexter could be set up for success is now against the Miz. Um, so I'm, I'm very curious to see where things go, but my hopes aren't super high. I just, I, I hope I wish for the best, but I don't think we're going to get, Something super phenomenal. What I'm thinking is, um, I think you need to bring Indy up for uh, Loomis. I think that yeah. as an they work. Um, her starting to take L's on NXT, and she's kind of just there to be like enhancement right now. I think it's time to call her up. I mean, is she gonna? Is she a great in-ring performer right now? No, but her character works phenomenal, and I think that you know they really hit gold when they put them together in NXT. Um, I think overall that's the route that I would go. If that ends up leading into, you know, Candice and her as a tag team yeah. as well, Johnny being linked in, then that's even better um, because Johnny and Candice need something obviously. Right. But right. I just really think Loomis as a character was at his best with Indy and Indy as a character was at her best with Loomis. So just do right. it. Yeah. And it makes sense too, because, you know, with Candice's promo going not to go back all the way back to raw talk, but Candice's promo where she's like, I have nobody here. It's me versus what the damage control and I don't have any backup. It's a perfect line for indie wrestling to come up and, and uh, do her thing. So I'm all for it. Yeah. And like we said, they need, they need more women on that roster. Definitely more viable, competent Mm. WWE style women. They could, they could definitely help out. And also, you missed the the Philly fanatic in the Miz versus Gritty and Dexter. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's definitely a Philly thing. Or the Green right. Man. The Street Profits back, Rocco. Um, what's up with them? They can't do retreading with the uh, the Usos for sure. Um, don't get me wrong; they feel great TV time. They have excellent matches whenever they're out there. They're a good act. But what's up with them? 
uh, Splitsville, man. I think that's what's going to happen with them. Uh, so. Yeah. I do. It, like you said, uh, the ta- once again, like the tag division is, you know, God, it's, you know, for a million years, that's the problem, right? So it's over who's la- who's there that's new, who's there that's fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you could find some stuff that's fun, but I don't know. There's so much upside in both these dudes, and both guys seem to be getting really good that I, I think a little Splitsville and, uh, you know, everyone always assumed uh, uh, Antonio uh well, sorry, Antonio, I think, is the one that's kind of uh, the secret, the surprise guy that everyone's kind of getting into now. But I think him being the heel ski. You talking about the heartthrobs, Antonio? <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. Antonio. Wait, wait. And Jesus, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I was I just yeah. like, fuck is Antonio? <laughs> I was thinking Antonio Banks, but that's a uh, – isn't that MVP's old name? I don't know. I apologize. Oh, this is Stegen, though. That was MVP, for sure. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Split them up. Because why not? I like I said, I had this weird, crazy thing where I want one of those dudes to like win the rumble. It'd be the perfect for the secondary world title to have. Like, it's never happened. They've never had a guy who was a tag guy win, right? Like, and become and get a shot and like make a guy that way. And I think it would be such a cool thing. Uh, it ain't happened with Romans with both belts, but uh, I don't know where this is other than Splitsville, unless you just want to do the same matches we've had a million times, right? Just with both guys being better wrestlers and way more jacked. Good stuff. I'm 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 just here for it. Montez and and Bel Air have a uh, Hulu reality show starting up soon, so you know that could be a part of the Splitsville too in a way also. Um, but I dig Dawkins. I don't I don't think he should go by the wayside. And uh, good thing Triple H is around because he would definitely be Dawkins or Antonio, either or. They would they would definitely cut one of his names. <laughs> All right, guys. NXT. That, so we just hit the WWE TV report pretty well. Let's hit an NXT TV report. We have Deadline. Um, we'll come be coming out of Deadline at our next recording. So we got Deadline, NXT Deadline. I think what it's called, or whatever. But um, only three matches announced right now. One being Braun Breaker versus Apollo Cruz. Rocco, who's winning this? Is this uh, a chance to maybe get the belt off Breaker and get, heat him up for the Rumble? I doubt it, but that's the only way I'm pitching Apollo to win this. But regardless, I think it should be a pretty good match. Yeah, it's a little house fight. Uh, I think Apollo will retain his crown as being one of the most uh, missed opportunities in WWE history. Um, I mean, not missed opportunities, but one guy who just sat in limbo for so long, who had a lot of talent. I was not saying he's going to be a world champ, but he had a lot more upside than he's had uh, given to him in his time in the WWE. So I think he's going to maintain that, have cool matches. Um, I was a big Uha Nation guy back in the day. Uh, always was pretty psyched for him to come here and just to think it's been as long as he's been in that company. And it's just like, yeah, oh, he's done nothing. Yeah, he's done nothing. So it's a bummer. Uh, probably should have been in NXT way longer than he was in his initial run. Uh, but yeah, I don't think, I don't see Braun losing in this one. No, I don't think you should either. But I'm just saying, hey, Rumble season, that's my pitch to do it. But anyway, I would I would like to read his journal, though, uh, Apollo's journal. <laughs> I'll pass. All right. So these Iron Survivor challenges determine the number one contender for either the men's or women's NXT title. We have four competitors announced for each, and then we have a three-way wild card for the, this week's NXT TV. We have Zoe Starks, Cora James, Roxanne Perez, Kiana James. First of all, Tim, did you happen to catch NXT? Are you an NXT guy? I'm not sure, but they did a pretty good job of HBK at a round table with Molly Holly, Alundra Blaze, Road Dog, and X-Pac of kind of laying out who should be in this match. It was pretty good TV, you know, 
five pretty big stars that are, have been around on TV a long time, and they put importance on this match. And will you be checking out the Iron Survivor Challenge? Is that weird wonkiness kind of a, a match that would tickle your interest, say? I was cool when this was just the Adam Lee original of the championship scramble. Um Calling it the Iron Survivor Challenge sounds like something that would be on CMT with like geriatric people running the Broken Skull <laughs> Ranch. Um, and Iron Survivor definitely sounds like a Kurt Cameron movie. But I I like the Iron Survivor Challenge. I think it's something that NXT can have as their own. Yeah. Now that kind of War Games has graduated from NXT to WWE, um, they kind of need something in that line. Iron Survivor is perfect. Um, it's that nice amalgamation of like the Iron Man match and King of the Mountain and and the championship scramble. Um, I saw the roundtables. The it's a very nice way to kind of in storyline discuss who the number one contenders could possibly be while yeah. also leaving the openness of a wild card for all of the matches. Yeah. Um. It, it's definitely. I'm. I'm here for it. I'm. I'm here, and I'm. I'm gonna give it a chance. I'll, I'll give. I'll give it one pass. Um. And then after that, I'll be able to say whether or not it's in the bin or not. It would be either a a skip or a watch. Now, <laughs> now give me two two winners here. We have Wendy Chu, Fell in Helene, and Indy Hartwell. Which wild card is gonna make that match? I choo choo choose Wendy Chu. <laughs> and would you consider us a, a sleeper against Zoe Stark's Cora James, Roxanne Perez, and Kiana James? Um, well, the sleeper is Wendy Chu. Finally, asshole flopped at my dad jokes. He lobbed it up there, buddy. Yes. Um, I think that the sleeper for this is probably Roxanne Perez. Okay. Um, after having the the match with Cora Jade at Halloween Havoc, getting this to catapult her finally into the rarefied air that is the dominant reign of the the people's champion Mandy Rose. Um, I think it's it's due for her. Um, and you can have the other the everyone else in the match kind of fend for themselves. But Roxanne coming out for the women is uh, is my uh, my safe bet. I think that's a pretty safe one. On the men's side, Rossi, who do you got? We got, I need two winners out of you. The first one in the match, we have Carmelo Hayes, J.D. McDonough, Grayson Waller, and Joe Gacy. And in the wild card, we have Von Wagger, Axiom, and Andre Chase. Who do you got in both? I think Carmelo's going to win. I I feel like it's time for him to kind of get elevated to that main title run um and i'm gonna say von wagner for the simple reason i feel like they're gonna need a big hoss in that match of some sort um axiom i don't know i still kind of feel like he ends up losing the mask at some point soon and i can't see andre chase in this match but um i feel like that's good I, I feel like he's going to be tied into, you know, maybe getting mistakenly fucked over by uh, the poker player there. I can't even think of his name. Two cuts. Um, do cuts and there we go. I, I don't know. I just can't. I can't see Wagner losing that match. Um, and, and real quick, going back to the women, why is Nikita not in the match? She's hurt. I know, they, I know they did a hurt knee thing, but doesn't Kiana James in the match kind of feel like she's going to get replaced by Nikita? Perhaps. 
Because it feels like to me that Nikita and Mandy's the way to go. Because, it, I mean, we can I talk think, about that down the road. but Maybe, but Nikita seems like she's going to be stuck with Zoe Starks. And it seems like Zoe Starks would be one to heat her up before Man, before Mandy, really, you know what I mean. You need you need Zoe, the veteran, out there, the the, the one, the, the 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 tool and the sharp and the, the 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 fine tool to get out all the kinks out of Lions to get her ready for Mandy. Because Mandy versus Lions sounds rough. I dig, I dig, and then maybe elevate uh, Roxanne with a Mandy match. Okay, I'm with you. I'm, I support it. Yeah, maybe Lions at WrestleMania uh, at time or whatever. So I don't know. That's NXT deadline. Um, you know, we don't really t- touch on NXT a lot here, but I think it'd be a good time too, as they have a PLE coming up. All right, guys. So that's it for the WWE TV report. Now, Rocco, do you have anything to ramble about it this week? Hello. Yeah, real quick, I just was thinking, uh, with Survivor Series, uh, we had War Games, and I got to see Tommy Rich live, uh, the same show I saw Maki Ito, so feeling nostalgia is a, is, is a big thing, and I think nostalgia really sold the uh, Survivor Series sellout. Uh, I think when we talked about it initially being announced, we were like, oh, it'd be kind of cool to uh, announce the matches a little more organically, but I think a lot of the hype to the show was the nostalgia, and it just made me think about... Nostalgia and how WWF treats nostalgia and where it's going to be in the future and how they're doing it now. And like, uh, I think this, especially it's interesting because Vince hates nostalgia, hated nostalgia because he didn't want to be reminded that he was an old man. Right. So he always kind of rejected it, except for when he needed to rely on people to that he would count it on. But I don't think he was a nostalgic guy. And nostalgia is its own weird thing that. Uh, it, it's a double-edged sword. It makes people stay stagnant instead of look to the futures in some ways. But I think it's always an interesting thing. And I think when watching the Survivor Series, they had some videos hyping some of the Survivor, the, uh, like war games and things like that, and seeing those old people. And I think we've been in the Vince era. It was always, you know, the non-granddaddy of them all and no numbering. I think the past was used but never like celebrated in a weird way. It's 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 interesting. It's interesting. So I'm curious how you guys feel about how they use it. Uh, I know AEW has used a lot of nostalgia in terms of having old guys come in, and it's like, what nostalgic things would you like to see? What would you like to – what do you think – because we all love, like, the first Survivor Series and Mania 3 and ECW in 96 and, and certain match types that NXT has used. So what can they use to uh, – to, I don't want to say exploit, but what do you think in the future they're going to use? Uh, like, King of the Ring. Like, yes, I think that's going to be awesome. Please don't put a crown – too many stupid pictures of Bret Hart with a crown on his head, making his his history uh, tainted. So, uh, what would you guys like to see? That uh, not to use it as a crutch, but to celebrate it. Like, should should the past be in a museum collecting dust, or should it be under a spotlight, enhancing the new stuff? So, I don't know. What do you guys feel about its place in the current and the future? And do you like it? And do you like how it's going to be used? And we can talk about the Hall of Fame when that's happening soon, because that's another completely different uh, ball of wax right there. Yeah, I think Triple H is a big fan of nostalgia. If you look at his fingerprints, he is, a, you know, even in NXT recently, you know, this deadline thing we just talked about right here, you know, that's a scramble knockoff. Um, the World Cup is a prelude to see how the King of the Ring may do ratings-wise. You know what I mean? Um 
Look at the War Games he just brought back. He brought War Games to NXT. He pitched uh, Vince McMahon 15 years ago to bring it to the main roster, that is. So, yeah, I would say he's a big, big fan of nostalgia, and he uses nostalgia to kind of shine up the new stars, too. So he is a... I can't really, off the top of my head, think of what he could pull from the past, but, um, you know, especially he could use... For sure, he wants to use Money at the Bank at WrestleMania from nostalgia. And for sure, he wants to take away a Hell in the Cell pay-per-view and use it when a feud warrants it. So, um, yeah, I think he's going to use this. I would trust him with nostalgia. I trust him with a lot of things, honestly. I mean, do you remember like back when they would do the three-hour Raws and it would be a throwback episode? Like, remember when we used to yeah, look that's forward? Yeah, man. Remember we we would look, yeah, we would look forward to a three-hour Raw instead of being murdered by it every week. So <laughs> I know. Uh, Tim, yeah, you're a WCW guy, so like, do you have a uh, thoughts on a? Do you like that? Like, I know WCW uh, is a uh, AEW does a lot of that, so. Yeah, and in NXT. Does oh, yeah. a lot of it too. I mean, they do the Great American Bash, they do um, Halloween Havoc, they Heatwave. do yeah, they do Heatwave. I think that there's one thing we have to take into account for nostalgia is as time marches on, nostalgia will also tick upwards. So nostalgia now are like acts from like the late 90s early 2000s and it's not going to be these 80s and early 90s guys that we've had before um also it's very interesting to think now that triple h is in charge of the wwe tony khan's gonna have competition for all those jim crockett guys that he keeps pulling out um triple h is a self-professed crockett guy and um He's a student of the game and appreciates all of it. So I'm curious to see where the nostalgia goes. Um, also, with Cody being back, I can see WWE embracing more of the dusty ideas. Um, I know we'll never get Starcade or we'll never get uh, Spring Stampede or anything, but um, I think the market that we might run into in nostalgia is the title belts. I think there's a good possibility we see, because I know there was at some point when Cody got signed that it was like, ah, they're going to bring back the winged Eagle. And I would pop huge. If there was a 2023 WWE winged Eagle, just, just me. They did Uh, bring back the intercontinental right back in the day. Well, they've done that before. Like they, but didn't he bring the white, strap one back yeah he brought the white he brought the white strap back yeah um intercontinental title absolutely i would happily take the egg belt back as opposed to whatever babe or not beyblade or whatever it's called the like a spinning top ninja star title they have right now uh but nostalgia will always have a place in wrestling it even had a place in wrestling back when People said there wasn't really nostalgia in wrestling um, because it's one of those it's one of those things where the present always looks back to the past and you have to use the names that the the majority of the fans remember 
to stamp a guy and go, okay, this guy, this is it. Like when they when they had Terry Funk hand the chainsaw of Chainsaw Charlie to Dean Ambrose. Really small thing, but that like look back now, like look look back then, see that instance, and now look at Dean Ambrose as John Moxley and like he's the most Terry Funk dude out there right now but we didn't know it back when he was getting handed the chainsaw so um but i i I love i love nostalgia in all of its forms just no more goldberg can we pick another (laughs) wcw guy like ddp still bumps like come on now yeah all right good shit guys even wcw did have like their weird like super like uh legends events and I often thought WWE kind of failed in the idea of just having a legend at a show like in the Concord, just at like a merch table. Like, how do they just not get like Jim Duggan to stand at a merch table and right. pump merch? You know, like, yeah, some of those dudes are a little long in the tooth and look a little old ski for like the, the cameras. But you just announce them for like the local uh, audience. You know, people are going to lose their minds. I mean, people go to the local card shops and, and uh, random places to meet some of these dudes like. If he was at a table, just at a like a, a show, it would just be incredible. I think. I think that's one thing they could really do to really embrace. I wonder that. if I wonder if that's something that WWE might look into doing for like the house show circuit. Yeah. Would you like, blow him in the bathroom, Rocco? Say that again. I <laughs> said, so would you blow him in the bathroom? Tim Duggan? Yeah. Nah, he's not my type. Ricky oh. Steamboat, maybe. <laughs> Cause you're only a man And a man's got to learn to take it Try to believe Though the going gets rough That you gotta hang tough to make it History repeats itself Try and you succeed Alright, yeah, so my thing of the week is GWWE We're bringing Tyler in here Tyler's, gonna, Tyler's my boy from Making the Case We've been podcasting all year about GWWE For example, we did William Regal versus Shinsei Nakamura We did Roman Reigns versus Bob Backlund We did, um... A few. We did the Undisputed Era with Ryan Everett, you know. So just to name a few, if you want to go back and listen to them. But Mike, my thing of the week is GWWE. We're getting closer to the end of the year, where we want to make our lists, and we're gonna make. We've been making the case all year, so let's make the case on clotheslines and headlines. So this is my thing of the week, GWWE style. So Mike, I gave you the task of making ten guys or ten gals, where you would just present to us. Me and Tyler will be about a minute long each on making the case for that guy. After making the case for that guy, we're going to have you guess where this person ended in 2017. If they were on the list or if they were not on the list and kind of just give us an example like eh, 33-ish, you know what I mean, for that or whatever. So that's how we're going to do it. And then, Tyler, when we make the case, why don't you tell them what you had them in 2017 and then when you're done making the case, tell them where you project them to be in 2022. Let's get after it, boys. Tyler, are you good? Any questions, buddy? I'm good. I'm ready to roll. Yeah. First of all, Tyler, thank you for jumping on Closed Lines the Headline. First time guest. Probably should have done a better job of introducing you, but I'm a masshole, so you get that. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, Tyler, thank you. I've had a blast this year podcasting with you. Same. Back at you. Cool. All right, Mike, who do you got first for us? All right, so... You tasked me with putting a list together while I was watching uh, the United States play Iran in uh, soccer. Or I, I don't want to butcher it. I don't know. They, they've been really particular in how they pronounce their name lately. But, I mean, when we're thinking about wrestling I mean, in, in Iran, Iran um, we're going to say Iron Sheik. So what do you guys think about the Sheiky baby? Interesting, Tyler. Tyler, I'll let you start. One of the episodes we did was I represented JBL 
and you represented the Iron Sheik. So, Tyler, why don't you get after it? That's right. Uh, so it's a near and dear to my heart because I did make the case for the Iron Sheik. Currently have him at number 49 on my working list. Uh, Sheiky Baby is just an all-time iconic heel character. Everybody remembers his shtick with the anthem and, you know, the Iron number one. USA Hot Tui, all that, very memorable. Uh, he ended a historic title run of Bob Backlund, and then he started another one by losing the title to Hulk Hogan, obviously, and kicked off the Hulkamania run. And I think he was just the perfect guy to do that. He had an all-time great five-star match with Sergeant Slaughter in the boot camp match at Madison Square Garden. I believe that was in June of 1984. He had other great matches with Slaughter and with Backlund. And I just think he's a much better worker than he gets credit for. Most of the best work is at house shows at Madison Square Garden, Boston, Philly, in the days before pay-per-view, or at least when there was, maybe there was just WrestleMania, maybe just one pay-per-view. I think in particular, his uh, tag team with Nikolai Volkov is much better than you'd realize. And again, you have to go to those house shows to see them get a little bit more time, uh, where I think uh, the Iron Sheik was the one that really drove that. You know, he was by far the best, better worker of the two. So, so that is my case for the Iron Sheik. Very well, Tyler. All right. So back in 2017, I had the Iron Sheik at 108. So he was eight spots away from my list. Now, I'm a more keen wrestling fan with when it comes to 1980s now than I was in 2017 as we revisited the Cronoso days. And the Iron Sheik was heavily a part of that on the Daily Cronoso where we hammered 1985 and 1986. And when you alluded to Nikolai Volkov being a very good tag team partner with him, had a few of their matches, and I agree. Sheik carried that team with the charisma, the star power, and the presence. Volkov is, is rough around the edges in ring, and Sheik was always the better worker within the three. So back in 2017, let me just tell you why he wasn't on my list. I do this with uh, like a point system. I did NJPW and I would do it out of five. This year I used our 10 categories that we used. So I'm like expanding my view on things. So um, the reason why I believe the Sheik will make the list for me is one, because I'm more keen. Tyler did a good job convincing me in that episode. And I don't think he's going to be top 50 for me, Tyler, but I think he'll be 80s, 90s probably after I take a better look from him. But Tyler, we'll get into that later. But you know, I'm much younger than you, as I always talk about. So Sheiky is more valued in your heart than mine, but I adore him too. So he's going to be on my list due to star power, uh, charisma, and flexibility. Some peak moments, like you mentioned, the Hulk Hogan title win. T- Hulk Hogan title win and then tris- transitioning that from Bob Backling. Uh, he's a pretty good promo, but he's more of a character than a promo, if that makes any sense. And his, I underrated his work back in 2017. So that's the case for Iron Sheik. All right. Mike, where do you think the Iron Sheik landed in 2017? Oh, I mean, I was thinking like mid 80s. Like that was just a quick, quick thought. I mean, uh, Sheik in, you know, 2017, um, you know, he was kind of out of the the limelight. He kind of had a wrestling resurgence in like the early 2010s because of his batshit shoot interviews. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, he was wrestle cons and stuff like that. So a lot of people, you know, were in front of mind. But yeah, I, w- I would think like in the mid 80s without putting much thought into it. Tyler, where you got, buddy? He finished at number 65 in 2017. Interesting. I think that he'll probably hover around there, dip into the 70s, mid-70s. You know, what do you think, Ty? Yeah, that's probably about right. You know, it just depends on what the uh, the voters look like and, you know, how many votes we get it in. And so uh, anybody that's listening, I encourage you to submit your ballot. And you can do that now on the Facebook page. Awesome. And we'll plug all that at the end. Mike, what do you got next on your list? So next, I got somebody that uh, 2017, he was probably, I don't know, more 
upside than you might have thought now, although now he is obviously one of the bigger stars in wrestling, but his in-ring is kind of something that we may not be as excited about. We'll find out, though, in the next year. I think Bray Wyatt, where are you guys at with him? Tyler, I'll let you start so we can have a lasting fond memory of him when I finish. (laughs) Okay. As you had mentioned, I am much wiser than you and also just happen to be older. Uh, that doesn't. I don't know that that has anything to do with my take on Bray Wyatt, but maybe it does. Um, Perhaps. There's not a chance in hell he's going to make my list. Um, he just has way too many all-time bad moments. The Hell in the Cell with Rollins, the maggots on the ring match with Orton, being burned alive by Orton. I think didn't Orton burn his house or his shack or his cabin down too or whatever, and yeah. rising from the dead with a melted mask and all that shit. And um. Mike, you'd mentioned that there was the in-ring was kind of suspect, and I I just find that the in-ring was always a little suspect for me. That I thought he was not a particularly good wrestler, pretty bad usually. Um, with the the good match, the only good matches with the Daniel Bryan at one of his hottest times, and then six-man matches where usually with the Shield and and Luke Harper are doing all the work for him. So uh, I will say, obviously, he's a memorable character and had strong character work but uh, the thing is that all the the spooky kind of nonsensical promos I, I never felt like they were paid off for anything so uh, so that's why he won't make my list that's why I'd make the case against Bray Wyatt and I know that you've done uh, a making the case that I was not on there Ryan so I, I know you probably will have some other things to say yeah, I made the case for Bray versus Yokozuna. I had Bray at 84 in 2017, uh, just high on his on his character work. Promos are say that he lacks substance sometimes, but you know the delivery and uh, just the flexibility within that character and the character acting and the levels of that. Um, is he a, the best in ring wrestler? Absolutely not. He is, but he has a sneaky decent resume within the six man tags. He's a good Royal Rumble competitor, a good Elimination Chamber competitor. He's a good multi-man m- m- competitor. Uh, he has really good Daniel Bryan matches, and he has a under-the-radar John Cena match that should is overlooked. As a, I had it at like four stars, last man standing, I think, uh, payback, or one of those weird 2014 mishmash pay-per-views. And the one that puts him over the top for me to make the list is the star power and the charisma. He strikes really hard in the, high in these categories. Personally, I don't really dwell on the negative too much on everyone. I try to look in the positive and there's just a lot of positive here. And I of course weigh the negative, but maybe I don't weigh the negative as much as everyone else does. And I kind of look for the peaks, but I also bring down those peaks due to the valleys. And is he averages not so high. That's kind of why I have him 84 or 85, whatever I had him. He may be sticking around, maybe get a bump just based off the star power and the charisma and the the passion that he received, you know, in October when he returned Extreme Rules. And he's been delivering good stuff promo and character-wise since returning. So I'm interested in in um, I would be real interested if this was a year later. We could see a year of wrestling under his belt. So I, I, don't, I don't think we're going to get a match out of him before 2022 is over to kind of 
not that one match would make the case or, but you kind of could see where he was at there. So I agree with all the negatives for the most part, Tyler, you named five horrendous things. Uh, that hell in the cell is all time bad. That re- some, most of that Randy Orton stuff is terrible. The worms is unexplainable, but then again, you want to give guys credits for bad booking and other spots, but it's much overlooked with him too. So it's, it's hard. It's a give and a take. And I seem to give it a little bit in the eighties, Tyler, where do you end in 2017? Oh, Mike, you want to make your guess on where he ended? Oh, shit. I fuck. I already yeah. fucked this up boys. I was thinking 2017, he was pretty ice cold. Um, you know, we did the Matt Hardy feud and bullshit like that, you know, in the 2018 range. So, um, and then he heated up again with the fiend in 19. So I'd say in 17, you guys probably had him in like the 95 range. All right, Tyler, what did you got? He finished number 130 in 2017. 130. So any, anybody that received a vote, I can tell you what place. Yeah, they, uh, they went in, and everyone that we'll talk about today did receive at least one vote. Everyone we talked about did receive one vote, and a, and a few of them were off, were not in the 100. So I probably should have mentioned that at the top. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm interested to see where Bray is. I don't think it's going to change much. Maybe he sneaks in, based off the case I made, but nowhere, n- nowhere past the bottom, <laughs> bottom quarter. Yeah. Really, you know, that's well, that's ridiculous. Well, a lot of the things I mentioned as the negatives have happened since that 2017. I mean, that yeah, theme yeah, has happened too, since then. You know, that debut of the Fiend. Well, I don't want to keep going on, but that debut of the Fiend and that debut here was pretty memorable. But then again, there's no substance with that. So, who do you got next, Mike? So I understand the plus. So, yeah. So a guy in 2017 that was probably past his hottest run um, in WWE, um, but you know, definitely had a little bit of a good run in WWE prior to this. It's going to be Rusev. Rusev, Drea, Rusev, Maska. All right, Tyler, what you got for Rusev? Okay, so Rusev did make my list in 2017. Uh, he finished at number 98 on my list. And I think his strength was always uh, him as a worker, uh, kind of independent of the great matches, just his work rate in general. I thought he brought something to every match he was in, and that's something that I tend to value quite a bit. So I, you know, I, in some of the podcasts we've done, Ryan, you know, I talk about guys like Regal and and uh, people like that that are great workers and that may or may not show up in great matches. Um, Rusev would fall into that for sure. For sure. And he did have some really solid matches against Cena, against Big E and Sheamus. But that sh- Cena feud really, it kind of hurt him. It, You know, he wins the first one, if I remember correctly, and then loses a couple in a row then. Um, and he rode out to a tank at Wrestle to the ring at WrestleMania, uh, and that is that probably counts as four or five moments, but that's about all he had. Or I know he's got some of the Rusev Day stuff and things like that, but as far as big moments, I think he likes a little lacking. And he was hanging on at number 98 last time. I think there were a few people that I gave a little bit of a boost, thinking the future would be brighter than what they've yeah. done and he was one of those and for the most part that never panned out uh so for this round i'm trying to be really conscious of not projecting into the future um so i, I don't think he can hold on for as low as he was i mean there have just been others that have have surpassed him so i don't believe he'll make my list this time yeah, I had him at 79, actually. I just think he's very good across the board in an NJPW system, but he just doesn't break through any barriers of being, like, great or even very good. I would say his biggest strength is his match 
I don't not even his match resume, his wrestling. He's just a solid wrestler. Um, charisma's sneakily there. Promos are eh, they're fine. He's always better as a second. Storyline, peak moments, the Santa tank you can't deny. Flexible, he's a good tag wrestler. He's, he, he showed to be a good babyface post-2017, so I bumped him up a little bit there. And then um, he's, you know, he's he's a solid card. He can be uh, solid heel, up the card, down the card, wherever you need him. Star power is average. Charisma is a little bit above his star power. His longevity was 2014 to 2020, call it. You know what I mean? But my, my, my biggest negative on him is... For Rusev Day, I feel like it was Aiden English that helped him get over, and the the whatever the fuck he was with Lana, Lana helped him get over. So if you're kind of standing alone, he needs a little help. So I weigh that how you will. Um, I think he might fall off a little bit here, but he maybe he sticks around in the in the high or the high 90s, mid 90s. And for the record, Tyler, I had Bailey at 99 and Big E at 100. So my future projections probably are much stronger than yours. And you guys should remember that as this podcast continues. All right, Mike, what do you think? What do you think he finished in 2017? I was thinking out of the 100 with him. Um, just because 2017, he had pretty much slowed down and was kind of winding down at that point. And I mean, it's kind of to your point that the New Japan stuff kind of made me think about how, you know, he's had some really cool moments in an AEW world, but for the most part, he's just kind of been another guy that got lost in the shuffle. So I'm going to say he was out of the top 100 around 110 or so. He was number 111. So you are finger on the pulse with that one, Mike. Rusev is a real missed opportunity. or He's kind of a what could have been character, but, you know, what could have been never really materialized he's still had a solid run in my opinion as an upper mid carter you know i mean he just couldn't break past you know nor should he have he didn't really have the legs to but uh all right mike who you got next on your list so next is somebody who's still kicking you know he was out of wwe for a little bit but he's got a very tenured run but from here it's going to be Rey mysterio so what do you guys got so i currently have him on my list for this run uh sitting at 27 he could tweak it either way a spot or two either way which is the case for all of them that I'll talk about. Uh, they could move a spot or two. Uh, Ray's just a great longevity candidate. He pumps out quality TV and pay-per-view matches, you know, for the better part of two decades. So in the WWE, had great matches. His debut against Angle at SummerSlam 02. The, his tag team with Edge, um, in particular, the No Mercy match against Angle and Benoit, but really all that SmackDown 6 era. He had a great feud against Jericho in 09 and Punk with the Straight Edge Society stuff. The feud with against Eddie Guerrero, I thought that was good. It would come close to great at times, but I, you know, maybe some of their previous history from WCW set expectations a little higher. Uh, but I, I liked they had a SmackDown cage match and a, the latter match at SummerSlam. I really liked that. Ray was never really the guy, even with you know, a couple of world Tyler Reigns and mid-card titles and tag titles but and i think that's what keeps him from the upper upper echelon but you know he's a great worker and that'll keep him like i say in the in the 20s for me but with that much longevity i'd like a few more great matches and moments to get him over that ledge to the next level yeah i had actually i had ray mysterio at number 27 two in 2017 longevity's great star power is is great uh charisma is is great. Flexibility is great. Um, Storylines are very good. Peak moments are very good, closer to very good than great. Um, 
promos are his worst, but they're not awful. He, late, especially lately, he's been sh- just such a, a much better promo in the last few months with Dom just kind of digging deep and kind of getting personal. He he got a little bit in him that way, so I give him a little tick up in the promos there. The character work is what it is. It's 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 lovable. You know, it 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 doesn't vary away, but it's still very good. You know, he's very relatable to kids. Kids love him. You know, they they buy in and um. He's a very he's a great wrestler. His match resume is shockingly not great. It's great, don't get me wrong, but it's not as good as you think it is. So that that's what's keeping him probably in the low 30s for me now and not in the low 20 in the high 20s, you know what I mean? So that's kind of dipping him down where you kind of just all right, he's not a great promo and his match resume isn't as strong as as his work rate is. So that's the case for Ray in to stick in the top quarter. I think he might f- drop into the bottom third is my estimation. Mike, where do you think he finished in 17? So, yeah, I was thinking 2017 he was definitely going to be higher than he might be now, and that's really no knock on him. I just feel like in 2017 he was maybe a little bit of a you know, hotter name, even though he really wasn't involved in WWE at the time. Like, he had that big rumble pop in 2018 so either maybe it's a period where people were yearning for him um and you know maybe they saw him on some indies and stuff and thought it was really cool and missed him so i would say he probably finished around 40 was my first instinct i'm going to say specifically 42 um but i think moving forward i agree with you he'll be a lot lower uh he finished number 20 on the list yeah, there was, a, there was a big push. This is one of our voices, his favorite wrestlers, where maybe he was influenced a little bit too much. Maybe with just like a guy that we'll talk about later. So, yeah, uh, the sentiment is I think he'll drop just based off uh, maybe not as strong of a push for him this year. If you, Do you agree with that, Tyler? Yes, I think he'll drop a little bit. Well, let's see, he was at 20. Yeah, I think he'll drop. Yeah, I think he it's just I can't get past the resume not being as good as it should be. All right, Mike, who you got next? So next I got a guy who is, you know, strangely enough, approaching 20 years with WWE. Um, debuted on Tough Enough in 2004 and kind of went right to their developmental territories from there. Um, this would be someone that's still a key part of the television programming, and that is The Miz. Tyler, what you got with The Miz? Yeah, so I kind of have The Miz in the same category as Kane. He's got too much stuff to leave off not enough good stuff to move higher for me i mean he's kind of i think forever on this list just because he has so much stuff he's obviously a great talker and he's one that they always trot out you know for talk shows and stuff like that i like this tag team with morrison and the the dirt sheet and all that i thought he had a great match with dolph ziggler in 2016 with dolph's career on the line like i was somewhat shocked i watched that fairly recently and i was kind of blown away because i don't think I've seen Miz in a match that good. And I just think that Miz, he brings a lot that the WWE values um, in that he can talk, he can do his reality shows, he can do media. He's a pretty safe worker that they can count on, Um, but he doesn't bring as much that I value to the table, being the, the matches, the work rate, or even character that I care about a little bit more. A reality TV star just doesn't mean that much to me. A Hollywood elite, that's that's not going to hit with me that much. Um, that said, like I said, he's always going to be on the list. I have him currently at 
number 94 on my list, so he, he's holding on. That's kind of what I've got on The Miz. All right, I was a little higher on The Miz in 2017. I, I was higher on him in 2017 as well, so I don't remember how much higher, but he's fallen quite a bit on my draft this time. Different palette, I understand. All right, I had him 43 in 17. No, excuse me, 42 in 17. Uh, longevity is strong. Charisma is great. Star power is sneakily good. I, I kind of weigh the reality stuff. I think if you go to ask someone who's not really a wrestling fan who The Miz is, I think they would probably know him. You know what I mean? I think that they might know him more than, than Rey Mysterio even. And if in however you weigh that is is interesting. Um, Storyline and peak moments, very good. You know, he's he's been around forever. Things are going to add up. Promo skills is one of his strong suits. And then his character work, he's more of a promo than a character work. Um, his match resume is stronger than his work rate. His work rate is probably good at best, but it, passable. You know, he, he can go in there and deliver great matches to an extent. You know, he's I'm not saying he has an epic catalog here, but you mentioned a few good ones. He can definitely go in there with a guy better than him, like Dolph Ziggler, and deliver a four-star all-time match. So Miz, does, he just averages, he just has a high-hitting average, and he should be on the list in the bottom, near the top, around 50, around mid, is kind of where I'll probably have him again this year. And I understand why he's in the bottom half of your 50, and I understand why his thing, he his ceiling is is 40. If he's over 40, I'm a little high now, but if he's over 40, we're going to have to have conversations. All right, Rossi, what do you think he uh, finished in 17? Definitely think he's going to be higher next round just because I feel like he's more of a star now with the reality show. And, you know, he's kind of had a little bit of resurgence. He kind of, with the Logan Paul stuff and weird title run that he had. Forget about I, I would say, yeah, I would say he'd probably be uh, 65 back in 2017. That's a good guess. What do we got, Tyler? He was number 45 in 2017. Ooh. So I think he had a little bump. People were pretty high on him. I cut off the zip Tyler, in the SmackDown run. Yeah, that I see that. Yeah, that's what I think. I think it was – I think he'd had a really good 2016 year, and I think that's probably what, what did it. Yeah. I, I, pretty pretty good. You know, I think that's that's fair. All right, Rossi, you want to send us home, buddy, with an indie corner? Yeah, 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 yeah. So Beyond Wrestling is uh, starting to get really geared up for New Year's Eve. Um, they ran a uh, interesting kind of turn last week, though. They did on their Thanksgiving night wrestling open show, Alec Price wrestled Channing Thomas with the stipulation that if um, Price lost, he wouldn't be allowed to wrestle in Worcester ever again. And if he won, then Cindy Pacabella, who is the manager of Channing Channing um, Thomas, yes, would not be allowed to come back to Worcester again either. So, um, in a shocking ending, Alec Price lost, which was his first loss of the year under the Beyond Umbrella. So kind of crazy that they went that route, you know, building him up to the big New Year's fans bring the weapons match with uh, Becca, who is longtime valet and, and partner, we'll say. Um, so now he can't wrestle on that show. So this past weekend at Motherload, which was the show that Beyond ran in Somerville on Sunday to try to get some of that Survivor Series after hype, um, they, they set up some things for New Year's. Uh, Willow Nightingale beat Masha Slamovich and then called out Lefisto. So it's going to be Willow and Lefisto on New Year's. That's a cool match. Um, they also um, had Price come out after Becca defeated Akira and tell her that, hey, since I am not around, 
um, are able to work on New Year's. I do have a new opponent for you, and out came Slade. So right now we got Slade versus Becca set up for New Year's on a fans bring the weapons, and and God bless you, Becca, um, if that ends up staying. So um, other other results on that show, I mean, Ortiz was back in. He lost the price earlier on in the show. Um, and, you know, Effie and um, Ali Ketch, which is bussy, they lost to um, LMK, uh, Little Me and Kathleen, and Teddy Goods. Um, a pretty fun match in the middle of the show. So um, pretty cool show um, that's up on Indie Wrestling that you can look back on. It's called Mother Load from this past Sunday. Um, and then, you know, looking towards New Year's of those two matches I just mentioned. Also add in Max Caster against J.D. Drake. So two AEW guys duking it out of New Year's. That'll be cool. Caster's obviously a big time star now. So good catch for them for New Year's. Now, uh, GCW. They just came off of, you know, having some talent down in, at, at um, WrestleCade in New, North Carolina. Um, part of that, uh, Nick Gage defended the title successfully against George South. I haven't seen clips of that yet. I kind of want to. Um, <laughs> but they're back in action this week. First off, Saturday, they're in Saugat, Illinois, um, with matches on that card. Nick Gage is in the main event defending the title against Cole Radrick. This is a match that I think you'd be interested in, Rocco. Los Macizos are defending the GCW tag titles against the second gear crew, like usual. That's Justice and Warner. But the third team is Two Cold Scorpio and the Sandman. Oh, former so ECW tag team champions. Right? Kind of a perfect spot for the Sandman to be in there because he doesn't have to do much except, you know, cane people and drink beer and eh, Two Cold Scorpio can do some crazy shit on top of it. So kind of a fun match. I know they, they keep running the same type of matches. So this was a nice twist to their tag team pitcher. So that's cool. Other matches, Tony Deppin's facing Jordan Oliver. Effie's going one-on-one with John Wayne Murdoch. That sounds crazy. Uh, Madman Pondo is wrestling Sawyer Wreck. Um, that's going to be off the off the wall. Um, Nick Wayne's wrestling Jack Cartwheel. Um, and then Jimmy Lloyd's got Starboy Charlie. So that's the show on... Saturday in Saugat, Illinois. That'll be on that fight gimmick. That's five bucks. Um, and then on Sunday, they're in Jeffersonville, Indiana, for a show called One Afternoon Only. Um, that's going to have the return of AJ Gray in a match against Axton Ray. That's kind of a controversial decision. Um, Nick Gage is going to be in town. Billy Starks going one-on-one with Tony Deppin. Cole Radrick going to war with Effie. Um, which will be for the title if Cole Radrick beats Gage the night before. Nick Wayne's got Starboy Charlie and Los Macisos and Jimmy Lloyd are facing John Wayne Murdoch, his rejects partner in um, shit. I can't think of his name right now. Well, I'm I'm brain dead. And Madman Pondo, uh, Reed Bentley. So it's Reed Bentley, John Wayne Murdoch, and Madman Pondo, um, and Jack Cartwheel and Shane Mercer. Other things GCW's got going on, they are starting to announce names for New Year's. They have um, Leon Slater in town, Maki Ito, Too Cold Scorpio, Willie Mack, uh, El Hijo del Vikingo, um, which, again, he has some really weird stuff. Maybe GCW was able to get around it. And then GCW, we'll talk more about next time we're here. They have a pretty big show in L.A. the weekend of um, December 16th. That's going to have Nick Gage and Tony Deppin, as well as Joey Janela against Pagano uh, and some other stuff we'll talk about in a few weeks. Um, the GCW also announced as part of JCW, a dual branded show, uh, the Jersey J Cup is back. Um, that's going to be in the White Eagle Hall in New Jersey, that Jersey City, not to be confused with the White Eagle we have up here in Worcester that Beyond runs. Um, that's where they ran their collective shows during Mania weekend in 2019. Um, they are going balls to the wall with the people they've announced for it. The first four entrants are Nick Wayne, 
Alex Shelley, John Gresham, and Mike Bailey. So that's going to be two separate sessions, 2 p.m. and 8 p.m. on Saturday, February 11th at the White Eagle Hall. Um, that will be a goddamn good show from the looks of it. Um, other than that, you know, Fight T, Fight Plus uh, is still rocking. They've had no issues so far. That $4.99, I think, is the best value in wrestling. Um, there's two or three shows every weekend. So if you haven't subscribed to that yet, definitely jump in on it. And, and Indie Wrestling, um, independentwrestling.tv, they are still rocking out. They've got the $10 price point, uh, but with the, with the stuff they give you every week, it's even you know, it's still a strong value. So jump in on that stuff. We'll talk a lot more about the New Year's Beyond show in the coming weeks. And uh, we might even have some guests on board with us to talk about in the coming weeks. So stay tuned for that. Sounds good. All right, guys, that's it for this episode of Close Lines and Headlines 2.0. Tim, not the tool man, Taylor. What do you got for us? You got viewers choice on this network. I know you got T&M pumping. You got the not to be named network. What else did I miss? Fill in the people what you got going on. Uh, if you want to follow me on social media, you can at, at the Toolman across all platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, if you care. I'm on TikTok, but I don't do TikToks, but send me your TikToks. I think they're funny. Um, <laughs> if you enjoyed what I did here, thanks to Ryan and Rossi and uh, Rocco, uh, check me out after every WWE and AEW pay-per-view premium live event here on the NOSO uh, for viewer's choice with my good close personal friend, uh, Marcus, uh, the co-host of WWE War here on the NOSO, um, and a former guest of Clotheslines and Headlines. Um, so check that out where we give you the must-watch, must-skip, and who the MVP of all those events are. Um, we're kind of on hiatus until the Royal Rumble, and I'm not mad at it. But <laughs> if you'd like it, and if you like me in a little more long form, uh, check me out at Final Wrestling Place. It's a, paper, uh, it's a weekly podcast where Marcus and I, as well, I take the nouns of professional wrestling and we assign them arbitrary red points and green points and put them in either the good place or the bad place. Uh, This past month, we have finally inducted our first members into the good place and bad place hall of fame. So if you want to give that a listen, you can find that on all of your podcatchers of choice. And that podcast is a proud member of the soon to be named network, soon to be named network.com, soon to be named network.tumblr.com. And I think all of the checks cleared, so all the plugs are done. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm surprised we had any money left after Marcus last week. He kind of he <laughs> threw an extra zero on after Rocco stretched him out. But uh, well, hey. I do see what I do is I it's a paid show for me, so I get all my advertisers to pay to to buy in, and then I can come here for free. But I gotta make sure that like. I'm like a NASCAR racer, and it's like, uh, thanks to the Wonder Bread, Dixieland, Dixie Cup, uh, Ping Pong Ball, uh, Car Wash 500. I appreciate everything, so I'm glad to, I'm glad to be here. I believe you. <laughs> yes, but uh, thank you so much, guys. I really do appreciate it. This has been a ton of fun. Awesome. Rocco, you got anything? Your band playing? What's up? Uh, we're a little uh, hiatus while we're uh, writing new stuff, but... Uh... Yeah, that's about it. You can catch me on the new uh, BH9021 NOSO episode on the uh, dedicated feed uh, with uh, Justin and Tim um, on the most recent episode. Not this Tim, Tim Cable. Uh, but yeah, that's it, Tim. I love you in the Santa Claus. Uh, hope there's a Wild Dogs 2. And I, uh, I hope you put this experience in a good place, along with Jeff Jarrett and everything he's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rossi, what do you got? Anything? No, not really. Just uh, watching a lot of college basketball, you know, waiting for the Dolphins to break my heart. Uh, you know, that's pretty much all that I got. You know, I'm just here and looking forward to some year-end stuff we'll have coming on down the line here. Yeah, we we'll have to get our dust our head off on that one and get that one rocking and rolling. 
All right, guys, but that will do with this episode of Clothesline and Headlines. Again, thank you to Tim, not the Toolman Taylor, and for uh, thanks again to Rossi and Rocco as always, and we will catch you next time. Let's go!